Welcome to another episode of the Bandwagon Podcast. And today is a bit of a, a milestone for me. Um, it's a person who's uh, played uh, a very significant part in terms of my knowledge of Bhangra and getting involved in, like, I can't even call this media because he does proper stuff in it. Mine is just like cardigal, whatever it's in the um, bedroom stuff, right? Um, he, when, when you think of UK Pangra and you think of even world Pangra on, on radio, this guy is, he's interviewed them all and he is the UK voice. I could, I could categorically say of UK Punjabi Pangra and folk music. Uh, without further ado, I want to introduce you to Polly Tank. Welcome, Polly. Rick, that's thank you. Well, thanks for um, having me uh, on your podcast. But that's a very, very big, big intro you just gave me there, bro. Um, sounded sounded very, very big, and I was I was just thinking then for a moment, I wonder who he's going to interview. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know what? Um, it, I was actually thinking about the, the the intro part because I don't I don't normally think about it, but I was thinking. I was at that point where when I do an introduction to somebody, I always, I try to be over generous in terms of, not in terms of I'm making it up, but <laughs> I don't think it's elements are part of their career or anything that they've given um, attention to. So it's been kind of modest. But my brother was getting, he had his graduation at Nottingham um, many years ago. Yeah. At the, at the was Michael Parkinson. And, yeah. um, he shook the, you know, his lecturer's hand and he went up to Michael Parks and shook his hand straight away and he was chuffed a bit. I go, yeah, yeah. you smashed it. He goes, you think of all the people who he's shaken hands with. Technically, I've just done the same. And I feel that's a bit similar with you because you've interviewed all the greats, everyone past and present to this point. And so to have this kind of, like, an opportunity to do this um, gives a real insight because you we don't get to normally hear from the interviewer yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I get you. I get you. And uh, for this, uh, I mean, what you're doing with me now, it feels like a bit of a, a busman's holiday, to be honest with you. Because <laughs> what, is, what do you mean? What is a busman's holiday to? I mean, like, it's it's like um, you know, I'm so used to doing interviews uh, and stuff. So it, it's kind of like you know, um, you doing an interview on me. It's kind of like, whoa, hold on a minute, because I always ask questions. Yeah. And wait for answers. Now this is <laughs> this is slightly slightly different for me, obviously, because uh, like I said, I I I don't really get interviewed that often, Rick, uh, because I think people get put off just with the fact that you know that you know, I've been around for so long and I've interviewed so many people, so I think they get a bit fearful of um, sort of I don't know whether it's you know, how, how do we come across to him or how do we put questions to him and stuff? And I often say, look, I said, just ask the questions and I'll answer it to the best of my ability. Try, try it that way. But uh, no, I, I really do think sometimes, um, I mean, it's like you, you just mentioned Michael Parkinson. I mean, if I had to interview him, I'd probably feel intimidated mm. thinking all the people he's interviewed in his time and I would only seem like a very small, you know, bit to him but trying to interview him I, I would really really have to think hard about okay what am I going to ask him and what sort of questions and what how are we going to sort of move this story on uh, if you get what I mean yeah so yeah it, it would take a lot of um, thinking and, uh, and and working on really so um 
if you notice in Polly's we're now wearing um headphones now, so that's just a bit of kind of backstage um behind the scenes footage. Anyway, so I'm just gonna kind of disclose at this point that um, you know, I I've met you just before I went to university and um yeah. that when we were working right. at Radio XL and some of the stuff that I kind of learned from you, especially kind of, how do I call it, kind of man management, person management, when you're working, when you're discussing and you're speaking to artists, um, was invaluable. And it's 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 something that's kind of crossed over in a lot of my other work that I do. Um, and I, I want to get to that a little bit later, but I just wanted to put that disclaimer at this point to kind of set the scene, scene of our, our relationship but yeah, I want to kind yeah. of go back to, like, from where did it all start with you, Polly? So how did you get into this scene? Especially, like, you know, like, Derby in that area has got a big Punjabi um, kind of community at that time. But, like, it wasn't massive compared to some of the other areas. No. It, uh, we, we've always, I've always said, we, we've got a good Punjabi community here in Derby. But it's not as big as, say, uh, uh, you know, Birmingham. Uh, Leicester, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, you know, Wolves, maybe, uh, possibly even Coventry. Yeah, where but Birmingham, obviously, if we talk about the Midlands, is the stronghold of where Punjabis really, really are. Um, but here in Derby, uh, uh, I'll be honest, we, we we had a small community, but um, a lot of us were really, really. Um, I suppose from an early age, proud of who we were, you know, as Punjabis, as Sikhs. I mean, my early sort of, I'm going back to possibly um, around about junior school time for myself. Uh, I spent a lot of time listening to Bollywood music. We was fortunate enough to have um, a cinema here that showed films on the weekend. I know Birmingham had, um, I think, three or four cinemas where you could go even during the week, but we only had one cinema here that showed films on the weekend. So Saturday, Sunday, mainly Sunday, was a, a trip out to the cinema. So I was influenced quite heavily by Bollywood in my early sort of days. My brother used to like listening to Punjabi music, so he had some really old school, um, in that era of when they used to have a lot of duet songs, you know, in the very, very early stages of Bhangra music and Punjabi folk music. So he used to listen to a lot of that. Uh, and we had a gramophone at home. And when no one was around, I'd be listening to music. That's where my music sort of connection starts. But then where it kind of like, I suppose, a little bit at school, it developed as well. Um, I mean, people still laugh at me, but I was part of the school choir because I mm. like singing, you know. And I know people say, well, what's that? But the fact is I was singing. and. I was getting out there and it was like that performing kind of thing. So we was doing, uh, you know, events at school uh, during assembly, we'd be singing. Uh, I got into uh, Morris dancing. What? So I did Morris dancing as well at school. So I was always kind of like fascinated by, you know, dancing, singing, etc. from a very early age. Yeah. As well as football. Football was another passion. But when we was kids, it was football or cricket. Because there, there wasn't no, no no sort of computer games, no nothing then, you know. So on the street, it was football or cricket. Late at night, hide and seek. And, and that is what we kind of like grew up on. Um, 
so the, the music uh, had a lot of influence on me from the early age. But then when you sort of start growing up, you get into your teenage years, you go to a bigger school. You know, it was almost like the Punjabi side, the Indian side of me disappeared because I went to a school that was far out, you know, from, from where I'd grown up. Mm. Um, and everyone there, you know, the, the culture and everything was totally different. Um, very, very westernized. So you had to fit in. And fitting in became such a problem for me because I didn't fit in. But then that's when your realization really starts is they don't want you there either, but you don't want to be part of them either, but you've got to be there at school. So how do you kind of like, you know, make it work for yourself? But we did in the end. I mean, it's a struggle, but it happens. But the music sort of carried on. I still listen to a lot of Bollywood music, Punjabi music, as much as I could, you know, for, 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 for all those years. At about 14, I actually joined uh, Derby's Jugnu Bhangra group. So I danced Bhangra. We, in them days, we, we weren't performing much, but we used to practice once a week. Yeah. So uh, there's a local community centre, a pear tree community centre. We used to go there, we'd have the upstairs, and we used to practice our routine. Most every, every week we would practice our routine. Um, the doll player was his, it was his true school's cha-cha. He was our uh, doll player. Um so it was it, that, that that was a bit of a connection, you know. Uh, his name was Ranjit. Sadly, no longer with us, but that was my sort of early connection with people like Ranjit dancing and the Bhangra sort of uh, music. Later on in my life, uh, I moved to London for a few years, where I sort of experienced. When I went there, I mean, the Punjabi music scene here in the Midlands was still fairly quiet. We had your bands like Pajungi. Um, uh, Satis, who were sort of on the work, work wedding sec, uh, circuit, circuit yeah. Um, and then shows all the shows were happening in sort of local community centers or in a school hall or something like that. Yeah, there was no big posh venues. But then when I went to London and we sort of went out, and the first time I saw a LARP uh, live was in like a college. So the venue was slightly different. The atmosphere was slightly different and it just felt different and it felt really good to be part of that. Um, and then in London at that time, there was a lot of Asian sound, uh, sounds people like, uh, you know, our executive sounds. Uh, there was loads of sort of DJ, Asian DJs around and if any party you went to, there'd be an Asian DJ. Uh, mixing his music as well as doing a bit of Punjabi, doing the dance music and stuff. So it kind of like, yeah, thank you. Wow, this is this is good, good sound because yeah. you'd hear some of them like mixing Punjabi with a little what bit. What year of, are we talking about here, Polly? If we have to kind of drill it down, talking about 80, 84, 85 time, right? Yeah. Um, and then nineteen eighty five, uh, things really, really changed all of a sudden. Um, there was a, a show at the Empire ballroom leicester square which featured a larp and um they they just had their house dj uh at the empire ballroom but that was probably one of the biggest shows at the time uh, it must have been about you're talking about two and a half three thousand people there easy because empire ballroom was a big big venue um so we went along to that yeah and it, it, it was just felt 
you know, to have two and a half, three thousand people watching an Asian band play in, in a sort of English mainstream venue, very, very sort of unusual. Uh, but we we loved it, thoroughly enjoyed it. A few weeks later, after that, uh, Jarak Bachan and Hira played at the Hippodrome, Leicester Square. Yeah, I had to go there as well just to experience yeah. the Hippodrome. So how, how, you know, at that time, just to kind of take me back to um, this one bit in terms of yeah. how were the gigs at that time? Be like you've been involved quite heavy on the gig scene, you know. Um, uh, professionally and and privately in that as well, but like, how would they kind of advertise those gigs? Because I'm sure it weren't easy at that time, even uh, though they were getting big results coming in. Was it more word of mouth or was it? Actual... Nah, nah. Uh, Rick, from 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 the early days, I mean, if you went into Southall, uh, those were the days when sort of um, billboarding was allowed. Yeah, the councils didn't object to it, so you would literally, as soon as put someone put a gig together, they'd plaster it all over the walls in Southall, uh, the East End of London, wherever. There was less sort of hand, you know, like hand flyers then. So it yeah. was everything. So and, and the thing is, the other thing is, is we had lots of loads of music shops then selling Asian music. So they would all advertise it and they'd all be selling tickets. So if you lived in Southall or, you know, uh, I don't know, in the East End, Ilford, you know, East Ham, West Ham, that, they would be absolutely plastered. They would also target, obviously, universities straight mm-hmm. away. So universities would be targeted. Uh, and so these sort of posters would be up in maybe the common room or a notice board or whatever. So you just get one person to go into a university, just stick them up. And no one really objected in them days. Rick. I mean, like yeah. I remember every gig I sort of ever knew about was always plastered on a wall somewhere or a... <laughs> board or a music shop and there was like none of these hand flyers or anything so that was it there'd be one big poster you'd get your information from there you'd the go coaches, in buy your ticket what time the coaches are leaving what what time? well <laughs> coaches came a little bit later, later but in london obviously you can imagine in london if you're targeting east east london and west london you know and the asian communities in that you, you you're gonna get a crowd aren't you yeah yeah um, so a lot more organised than in London than it was in, in terms of kind of like Midlands because of the infrastructure, I'm guessing. Yeah, and plus, like you said, the infrastructure made it a lot easier to, for people to get around. There was already night buses, things like that were already there. Um, so even if it was a late night, you know you're just going to get a, a night bus home, yep. you know, to wherever you needed to go to. So there, there was already a lot there. But it was um, – so those, those two gigs were the first. And the first time I ever saw executive – sounds perform was at the hippodrome yeah and this guy he was like he was mixing it all up mashing loads and loads of sound and stuff and it was kind of like mind-blowing to think you know it's even now sometimes when i think about it and say hippodrome because that time hippodrome was such a mainstream club yeah and normally when you sort of talked about hippodrome you would see stars go in there and your big kind of I don't know, public figures and stuff. That's the type of club it was. Mm. So when we ended up there, it was just like, wow. I can remember going to the gents down there, Rick, man. It was out of this world. <laughs> it, <laughs> it, it, it was like a restaurant. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So you kind of like sitting there thinking, wow. You know, they, they live in a totally different world from where we've been in. But the, as for the gig, it was absolutely awesome. And the best thing I ever remember about the Hippodrome is they had a stage that dropped. It just sank to the yeah. dance floor level, yeah, when the DJ was on. But when the bands were on, 
the stage would come up, the middle of the stage would go down, and the band would just appear on it. Wow. Stage, uh, it was like, you wow. can't beat that stage production now? No, no. And then, right, I said, after the bands had finished, the whole thing just went down and it became a dance floor. And that's when the executive sounds took over. He was, like I said, blaring out some massive, massive sounds from back then. And that's when I thought, wow, this guy's, gosh, he's brilliant. He's amazing. You know, and and then it was kind of like, I wouldn't say straight away, I was thinking, yeah, 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 you know, I want to get into this. It was just like, wow, that's amazing. He's brilliant. This guy, I love him. Mm-hmm. Didn't even, I didn't meet Sanchez then. I didn't know him uh, at all, but I knew of him then. And then that was it. He came back. And then so after going to them two big gigs, it was just kind of like digesting all that information. And where do we go now? And what's going to happen next? And then from there on, it was almost like an explosion of bands, nightclubs, uh, Asian DJs. And so you're talking about 85, 86, bang. I remember 1986 meeting Manjeet Gondal, Holly Holly, in my local (laughs) in Southall. Um, I'd got to know his brother. He had a younger brother called Shinda. Sadly, he's passed away as well. So he was a good friend of mine. And he always used to tell me, said, oh, you know, my brother sings. And I was like, really? He goes, yeah, 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 he sings. And, and I goes, and he, he goes, oh, yeah, he used to play uh, double R with a lot. And I was like, so why has he stopped? He goes, he, want, he wants to, like, pursue his singing career. So one night, uh, he brought his brother down to the pub. We was there, and he said, oh, I've just recorded uh, an album, um, and I've got a cassette. Do you want to have a quick listen? So we hopped in his car. That's the first time I heard Holly Holly. Yeah, but then when you heard that, Stereo effect of yeah, Holly, yeah. Holly, Holly. That's the, like, that's, the, that's the bit that catches you as you first start, isn't it? Yeah, and you're like, wow. And I was like, who's produced this? And it was like, Deepak Kazanchi. And I was like, who? Yeah. <laughs> and they're like, Deepak, have you not heard of him? No, no, not a name I really know, but it's magic. This is awesome. Um, when's it coming out? And he gave me a date and stuff. And then, you know, Holly, Holly was a new band. Um, 1986 uh, came out with the album that album just it, that one song just blew up the album for him Holly Holly and from that that's where he got his band because before he just wanted to be Manjeet Kondo but because of the song Holly Holly they auto, he automatically wherever people it's Holly Holly, it's Holly, Holly never yeah. ever no one ever knew him as Manjeet it was always, <laughs> oh that's Holly Holly yeah. yeah, and that was it. And that name stuck with him. So his band was then, you know, became Holly Holly. But that's where that kind of like explosion started from. Then come 1986, um, I returned to Derby. Came back here, had a friend of mine. Um, uh, we was, well, we was best friends. So I came back to him and I says, you know what? While I was in London, I saw this DJ and he was just, and I knew, um, my mate, he had a, a relative in his family who had like a, you know, the old um, DJ systems. They were like twin deck. Yeah, yeah. Just two speakers. Two big speakers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I said to him, I said, you're, um, you know, I said, he's got a uh, turntable thing, doesn't he? I goes, do you think he'd be interested in like selling it or maybe even loaning it to us? And he was like, oh, why, what we're going to, I goes, look, you, you, you like your dance music. You know, all the pop music and everything. I like all the Punjabi music. So it'd be a good combination. That's what's happening in London. We get a couple of decks. We just go out and we start doing like 
some small parties and stuff. And that's where the DJ sort of thing started from. So, you know, like, you, you know, you've, you've obviously experienced London and then you've gone and then you've, you've, um, you, you, already you've kind of seen that innovation in terms of like, the, the, there's a potential market in there. You fall in love with the genre. You've seen it explode. You can see the next kind of stages that you, you are. I'm guessing that, like, I did an interview with uh, Sadara Gill and yeah. he was talking about, you know, by 86 in terms of what albums and what was being produced. And he, he's given a real good kind of um, vision of what the sound was like in, in, in the Midlands, especially. And, you, and, you know, you've just given us a great one there in terms of London, which a perspective that I, I, I've never heard before. You're then taking it back into an, another even tighter niche in terms of that way in, in kind of East Midlands now. And then how did you then, like you've, you've had that discussion with your mate, you're going to do this and that. The, the next stages are kind of like where you're going to go back out. And then is the introduction of kind of spoken media come in at that bit or is it still further down the line? That's uh, Asian music um, the, on, on BBC uh, was... They, they already had shows, um, uh, Asian shows. Uh, they were all kind of like uh, very, I mean, I, I, I think from uh, possibly about the 70s, late 70s, there was always sort of Asian programs. But there was, the shows were very, um, just targeting Asian audiences. So yeah. they were very rigid, um, in the... rigid in what they did. And they did it all in mother tongue. So their style of presenting would be, um, you, you know, very sort of Ajka Gita, Ye Merik Kinam Karahum, Ye Gita, Es Filmse, Ye Kalakarhe. So that kind of a style. Yeah. You know, and that kind of like connected with our first generations that came here because I think, I'm not, and I don't quote me, but I think that was a kind of style that came from India anyway uh, of presenting radio. Uh, so first generation, they loved that. And then obviously come into the 80s a little bit, there was a second generation. Um, you know, things were moving on. Here in BBC, there was an opportunity in about 1982 for they wanted to have like a youth program for Asian people, for Asian, you know. And so they started off like a community uh, radio on BBC for Asians and they created a forum and out of that forum, they, four, they found four or five presenters that they thought sort of represented the youth. And so they came along and they kind of like changed the way the program was presented. They changed uh, the music sort of sense in the sense that is they would concentrate on the latest music rather than, you know, some of the older music. The old school, yeah. Old, old, old school Bollywood, the old school Punjabi. So that kind of like changed. So in 1982, it, BBC Radio Derby had an Asian program that was run by sort of young people with young ideas, and it was targeting the younger audience. So we already had that 82. I'm not sure about whether Birmingham or... Because I only, you know, like I was born in 82. So I was like, I, I remember going, especially late 80s, Listen to a lot of pirate radio stations. Up on our radio used to be one yeah. that is, and like it depended on what which part of the house that you could get the frequency. Yeah, and even yeah. even to the point when we used to listen to Ajgal on a Friday. Yeah, um, we used to be like have it really finely tuned in on um um and in our kitchen. 
And yeah. in fact, we actually won a my mum won a competition to get a signed DCS shirt. Which oh, was a, yeah, I think I don't know if the top's still around, but I think it was one, two, one, two, three. It was like all shin and everyone was there with what the band pick. It was an extra, extra large t shirt. <laughs> Yeah, so I like, think in them days they only did one size. Yeah, yeah, and, and like, they, all the band members signed it. So I wish I, I've got to dig that out. You know, I've got to find that. Out. But it was yeah. such as uh, like for in terms of like growing up, listening to your radio station on a Friday, for example, became such a staple part of the diet of of listening yeah. to you because that innovation of your you we, you weren't getting that anywhere else. That was no. definitely just like the, the the one place. But did you apply to be one of those, or did or did they find you to be one of those voices? They, well, it, it's funny because um, one of the guys who who was selected to start that radio was a guy called Nicky Baines, um, and we had kind of like in the area grown up together, Nicky and myself. Nicky was also part of the Bangladesh band, uh, dance the juvenile group. Yeah, juvenile group. Uh, he was part of that. He was another guy. Um, that was very much into sort of his culture. He loved Bollywood films. Um, so he'd actually got a place on uh, in 1982 um, uh, as part of uh, this the sort of pilot that BBC was running. Um, but in 1986, when I came back from London, you know, I came, you imagine me, I'm buzzing with just yeah. having gone to the Empire, the Hippodrome. I've got this kind of like London vibe going on with me. There's this underground sort of dance music that was around at the time as well, but there was a lot of Punjabi releases around. So by the time I came back to Derby, you've got to think people like Brimmi had released a couple of albums by then. Hira, Jirak Bechan, uh, obviously Alap had uh, a, an album out. Apna Singit were about to uh, release their album. Holly Holly had an album out. Kalapreet had an album out. So all of a sudden, from, you know, like waiting for one maybe band or two bands to release. And if you got a release every six months, you was happy. All yeah. of a sudden, you had a bit of a collection going. And as I was getting into my sort of roadshow and stuff, my collection started growing of Punjabi uh, vinyl. Yeah. I just want to uh, start, I just want to make a, a checkpoint at this bit. Yeah. Polytank is one of the biggest record collections of UK <laughs> Punjabi pop music you would ever see in your life. Honest, I think you've got the biggest possibly... In the UK. Um, I don't know. I think there's one or two guys. I, I remember you used to bring you used to bring it into the station. Yeah, and they used to spray them there because I remember you used to say, oh, Vic, I've got to do this. in the in the downtime in, in between yeah, yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. You were like just cleaning them and cleaning them and cleaning. Them. And it used to be an annual event that you'd have to go down into your kind of basement yeah. area where you had it, your storage, and clean it. Rick, I I'll be honest with you. Um, I think um. I've probably spent more time polishing my vinyls than possibly anything else because you know when when you get if if you don't look after the vinyl, uh, I mean I've got some vinyl which is probably um, you know I, I was I was um, with, with some friends and they said well what's the oldest you got and I said it's probably about coming up to about sixty years old, you know, um, and so if you've got something that that's old, uh, and if you, if you don't put any like care into it it's it's just gonna you know disintegrate or, or not not be usable anymore so looking after the vinyl is essential i mean my son now he he's grown up he's actually added to my collection rick can you believe it or not so we, we've got this collection but now I've, I've also got a collection of um cds yeah uh, i've got five massive cases full of cds now but 
I've gone one step more and I've made a lot of my collection digital now. Yeah. Right. Uh, and that was, uh, I mean, that was literally sitting there playing every record and making it digital. So there's That's no shortcuts. Job, in that. I bet you did that during COVID. Oh, no, Rick, I did this age. Uh, when, when, you know, the, the MP3s first started getting around and, uh, and then all of a sudden MP3 DJs started popping up, uh, straight away I thought, you know, if I don't keep up with it, then I'll just be lost. So I remember when, you used to, when we when we used to on the rare occasion have the have an idea of who was coming in next week because it was really by the seat of our pants and it like what yeah. was coming up or what yeah you used to you used to have like the the albums there and like Slim Shindai used to come sign yeah. it all and all, you know all of that was just so the value of them now must be I mean I, you see I, some of the prices on eBay on some of them are just crazy uh, I, I think on the last count um, someone offered me five hundred pounds for the original GT Rorte. Uh, I've got the cover signed uh, by Manuk uh, and everything, uh, and like I said, it's it's a well looked after piece of kit. You know that the vinyl is probably still in the best possible condition you could get it for saying it how old it is. Uh, so I've had five hundred pound offered, and I've said thanks, but no thanks because um, the it, the value of the actual music for me is more than. I think some people um, don't understand the passion I've still got for that music mm. and the passion I've still got for Punjabi music today. They just think, oh, no, he's just a DJ, quick couple of books here, book there, book there, and that's it. That, no, it's not about – not everything in life is about money. Money, yeah. yeah. Money's great. But, that, uh, that, that's a passion. That's a work of passion. So you yeah. got you approach him, mate. You get to do – what was the next stages then? So like you got a mate already in the radio scene going on at the, at the same so, time. Yeah, so um, we started the uh, our road show and we got a few local shows in a few pubs, like you know, the night before a wedding. We started so so we slotted into that kind of nicely because night before a wedding was all the upstairs of a pub. Normally they'd just have a cassette player, but now you've actually got a couple of guys who are going to give you, you know, like a it. range of a range of music. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so it was good. It, I mean, in those days, I think we only charged forty quid then for the night. But for us, we was getting out there, we was making money. And for whoever's wedding or function we was doing, it was like, yeah, they're getting a bit of entertainment and not just a cassette player. So it kind of like fitted in nicely. But the collection, like I said, my Punjabi collection grew. My mate Nick, uh, he sort of knew what I was doing, what I was getting into. And then, so he came along and said, you know, your um, uh, Punjabi music collection, can, can I borrow it for radio? And it's like that thing about, that, but do I borrow my records to someone? And I just went, Nick, yeah, I, I, listen, um, I would give, really, really, but I don't want to let my vinyl go because it's too much. Because, I, you know, my, my DJ kind of like, um, if I haven't got my vinyl, I can't go out and DJ. So if you take my vinyl and don't get it back to me, I'm kind of stuck. Um, so he said to me, he goes, well, why don't you bring it down? And I thought, oh, okay, that's a bit of a compromise, isn't it? I bring it, they use it get it back, job done. So that's what I started doing. So I started popping down to radio on a Friday evening, taking my collection down. They'd sit down and say, what, what, what's the latest this week? And then I'd say, oh, I just got this this week and this track and this track. Wow, brilliant. You've got to play it on radio. So I started like adding to their playlist. Um, and they still had a pretty mixed playlist of Bollywood and Punjabi and Punjabi music sort of. So, and I didn't mind doing that. And then one week just out of the blue, they said, 
why don't you just join? You're coming down every Friday. And I'm like, kind of like looking and I'm thinking, I've just started my road show. And now these guys asking me to, you know, become, become uh, a start working on radio. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I says, look, I can't even string two words together at the moment. Yeah. I'm just about struggling on a microphone. Just say, <laughs> yeah, get down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it was like, don't worry, we'll help you and train you. And I was like, no, no, no. I goes, you guys are just taking the mickey. I says, I'm quite happy doing. You can borrow my records. I'll come down. And they started insisting, saying, no, 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 we, we definitely need you. That's where I got my break into radio. Mm. And, and it's been and 40 that, years. It's been 40 years this year yeah. from, from yeah, that. Yeah, now. yeah it, it, it has, Rick. You know, and to be honest with you, um, it's, it's kind of like unbelievable because it feels like a click of a finger and it's gone. Mm. Um, you know, we've tried to sort of celebrate it on radio, which we've done, but there's still loads more we could have done. You know, and, and the first thing I did is when my, um, you know, the editor uh, sent us an email basically saying, this is what we'd like to do. I sent him an email straight back saying, look, I, I don't think you understand. This is history. You're recording history. Yeah. And this history may never get recorded again. So for us, it's like this opportunity to get it kind of like all down on paper, as they say. So it's there. So maybe in the future somewhere, you know, in another 10, 15 years, that can be dug out and say, look, here's a bit of the history of yeah. Punjabi music, how the show came about. Duh, duh, duh. So, like I said, but we've only managed to, to get a bit of it. We would like to get a lot more of it in. Uh, but like I said, you know, with the BBC Times Limited, we've still only got the two-hour show. And things, so we're going to try and work a way around it where we can still. You reckon try and you get could some... do it, you know, with somebody listening in terms of like independent documentary to do it between you and the team to kind of get the story. I mean, like, because I'm not going to be able to do it justice even in this bit, you know. Uh, because yeah, yeah. It, but it, you'll get like an idea, the ideal because I think, and it's been a little bit morbid on this. You know, with the, this year has been horrific in terms of like deaths yeah. and things like that and you know and without history being documented down or those stories are gone and like yeah. it, what we're left with is it's it's mad because like the i just done the buddha jagpal interview yeah. and some of the information that came out there like he doesn't he rarely gives an interview yeah and it's the first time i've been shared and he would have just kept that with him but yeah. i think yeah. especially with like yourself and the team around you if it if, if it doesn't get documented down somewhere down the line it's, it's gonna get lost yeah, well, uh, we all. I know you're with us book. for a bit, but I don't yeah, want to. No, no, no. Well, well, touch wood. But no, Rick, uh, I'll be honest with you. Those kind of thoughts have come into my mind. You know, I'm not joking. I'm not just saying it because uh, of some of the recent events. But yeah. you know, life's short. Yeah. Trust me. You know, I'm telling you, 40, 40 years feels like a click of a finger. It's gone. Uh, I ain't going to get them years back. I ain't going to get that time back. But it's gone. And then when you're sitting here, and you know. Uh, I think the other day we was on radio and Sati said to me, that's four decades. I like, kind of like looked and I said, four decades? Because normally, you know, when you talk about decade, you're kind yeah. of like, there's so much in it. And you just think, I'm trying to work out where those four decades have kind of like gone. Think and where. of the Friday nights. Think of the things that you've missed. Think of the occasions, the family, all those kinds of things. Oh, yeah. all, all of those kind of like, yes, I mean... <sighs> What I mean, when radio happened and we was doing stuff for radio, everything else just sat in the back and we had to be at radio, go out to events, you know, get involved in this, do this, do everything kind of like, you know, that was, um, 
it was a career that I never thought I was. I, I never kind of like went out looking, looking Look for it. it. <laughs> yeah, sorry, catching on my zip. <laughs> sorry, yeah. So it was never a career I sort of set myself out to be in, but uh, it was kind of like a career that kind of like forced itself on me yeah. as well. But once that career was there, it's like with me when I do most things. If I'm passionate about it, I will give it one hundred percent. I just want to ask you something like while we're on it and it, it feels like in terms of chaotic where I'm kind of jumping around, but it just feels like natural in that way. What would you say is when you look back on the 40 years that you, what you've done is that you've deemed the highlights to be. Ooh, um, Let, let's say, let's say things that come to when it may not be the highlight, but things that come to mind whenever you kind of speak about it. When, when I think about the 40 years, the, the, the one thing that I've, I've always uh, said and I will carry on saying is that when I was a teenager, there was nothing available for us. There was no like club nights. There was no Asian DJs. There was no... Uh, it was even difficult to hear Punjabi music anywhere unless you had it at home in your house. So there was no radio no nothing no format whatsoever if you went to a wedding you was lucky because they they have some sort of entertainment there yeah. but even then when i started going to wedding a lot of them just used to have cassette players so that was part of that era, uh, generation where you started first seeing bands perform or a couple of singers come and and do a little bit with a vajja and stuff like that. So that started developing. So I've seen it from there. And that was my first kind of like real uh, sort of insight into music in the UK. But what I've always said to people is I wanted to change it for the next generation. Yeah. I wanted them to connect to their roots. I wanted them to be able to easily be able to turn on the radio and find a station that plays their music. Whereas for us, it was a total opposite. We would have to search high and low to find a radio station that even played one Punjabi, you know, one track, never mind yeah. uh, a whole show. So for me, that's what I wanted. Because a lot of my friends who grew up with me, there was, there was a few of us who were, like I said, I think I was very dissy. Nick was quite into it. But a lot of the others, they were just like, there was, you know, are we Western? Are we Eastern? What are we? Yeah, the, we the idea, it, I guess even that would have been a bit difficult because you're on a you're on a show in terms of the identity. You're trying to do a crossover show. You've got two extremes even in the in the team, and then you're yeah. trying to get that balance of product to what to put out there. And the this you market will always going to be louder anyway because it's in the nature. It, it, it was, uh, and, and that's what we soon after I joined the radio, we soon realised that. Listen, this the, the, you know as as the uh, new um, releases started coming in, and you got to think you got eight tracks on on an album. Uh, I mean, eight was a minimum then, and, and you can quite easily play Jaguar Miller every one of those songs. You know, quite easily for you know there were songs there for different occasions. You know, like Sadaputrayan uh, and Then obviously you had the dance numbers, so you had a good variety of music to play. So every week that our playlist was getting more and more Punjabi, where we just decided one week that's it. From next week we're doing a full two-hour Punjabi show. That's it. No, nothing else but Punjabi music, and that's when it really kind of like really exploded. The radio, um, the phone calls, the fan mail. Uh, we used to have 
uh, sacks of great, you know, them great sacks from the mm. post office. They used to be dropped off for us. And, and did you? Who did, was there a time where you like, like a big star that you thought, oh, we've made it. Like this is weird. Like this is weird. Like we're interviewing somebody. One one of our first, I think, first people to come on uh, our station was Amajit Sidhu. Yeah. And we'd all got to sort of know of Amajit Sidhu because obviously he did the 1985 uh, uh, Live Aid thing in Birmingham. Um, he was with Chirag Bachan. He did the Pop Awards, Awards. the very first Pop Awards. He done, yeah. Uh, yeah and he, he'd done, you know, the Dome. So the first time he came to radio, and we was having this conversation with Amajit a few weeks ago because we had him on air talking about our 40 years. And I said, Amajit, you cannot believe that my hand was shaking, you know, as I was trying to drink my tea and stay calm as you passed your LP to me. And I was looking at the LP and then I says, could you sign this for me? And he was kind of like saying, but that's how I felt. <laughs> and I was saying, no, 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 Amajit, you do not understand. You was a big star then to yeah. us. So for him to come onto our radio station and do that interview, it was like, I think we spoke about that. I mean, the whole station spoke about it. Never mind, no, not, not just us, because even the station was saying, like, who was that guy? Because I'm, you know, dressed up smartly, da, 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 nice car, pulled up in the car park, walked out with his albums and everything. And we was thinking this guy's like on it because he knows exactly what he's going to say, what he's doing, everything. So he was one of our first... Um, I'm probably 86 time um, when he came onto our show and we were just like, God, for weeks, I think we were just floating around saying, yeah, we just interviewed Amajit Sidhu a few weeks ago. So, yeah, 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 you know. Uh, and that's how it was. Then after Amajit Sidhu, uh, um, I think we'd gone out to the Pop Awards where all the bands were. Yeah. Um, performed the very first Pop Awards. And in them days, we used to have like a... Uh, a cassette, well, not cassette recorder, but we used to call it a ewer, had tape to tape on it. So we got one of those, took loads of tape with us, and back, backstage, you know, um, we checked with Amajit if we could get backstage. And so we interviewed everyone, like, in the, the, the dressing room area, because yeah. doing it out there was it, the, uh, where the gig was and happening. Can, and now, because of like, what people have done, there's footage in a lot of where you're, where you're actually presenting as well. So, yeah. so like all everything that's been said is all verified. You can just see it now, where, you know, where it's been done. Yeah, yeah. So we was in the changing rooms and all these bands were kind of like walking and you're kind of like saying, do you mind if we have a quick word with you? And they're like, who are you? And I said, we're BBC Radio Derby. Da, da, da. Um, I can remember talking to Shin uh, just after the release of uh, uh, Al Natural. Yeah, uh, Azad. uh Holly Holly, Deep Kazanchi, that's where we first sort of met him then uh, at that time. Um, so all the bands that were at the Pop Awards we interviewed um, on that day. Uh, so Up Nasingi, Jarag Bachan were there, but they didn't take no part in the Pop Awards because Amajit was part of Jarag Bachan and they felt that conflict if they if they won an award or something, then people would start, you know, and which was, but they were still there, you know, supporting yeah. everything that was happening, which, which was good to see. So yeah, so going out there and doing those interviews, wow, it was magic. And then, like I said, bringing it back to radio, edit as like you you've told me, you have to edit. We used to edit on mm -hmm. tape, 
splice tape, stick it back together and make it sound like a good interview, add a bit of music into it so it's like a package. Yeah. So every week for a few weeks we had a package and, you know, just sort of introduced it as this is Manjit Gondal and Holly Holly. This is his, and this is what he had to say. Uh, and the big topic that came from that particular pop awards was Deepak Gazanchi putting together Bhangra Fever. Because Deepak never told us he was doing that project, but Holly Holly were on it, Hido were on it, Kalapreet were on it. So they was all saying, oh, I'm doing a remix, I'm doing a remix. I'm Before we knew it, bang, Bhangra Fever came out. And wow, that was just like, <laughs> what the hell has happened here? And you see Deepak's influence, because he had worked with mainstream bands before he started producing Punjabi music. But Deepak is... Uh, if people don't know about him, he, I'm going back to the time of when there was an Asian program on BBC Sunday mornings called Nage in the Guinea's Even. Um, your 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 parents will probably know about yeah, that. I'm, uh, I'm yeah, old, uh, yeah. yeah. I'm so it was it was a program where every week they would have one live um, uh, performer, uh, as in Bollywood. Uh, occasionally, you'd get one Punjabi artist, but Deepak always used to play the guitar in that sort of quartet or band or whatever it was. So that's where, you know, and then he was um, doing lots of work in mainstream. He's done a lot of like music, backing music and stuff like that for Bollywood as well. But he's told us stories of that's where he first met uh, uh, George Michael. Wow. And uh, both uh, George and I forget the other. Uh, in Wang. Yeah. In Wang. They were desperately knocking on studio doors then, trying to get someone to do the music. And then I think eventually Deepak said we was in one studio and they was in the studio next door doing their first single just before it got released. And I was like, so George Michael was next door to you? So yeah, yeah, next door, doing his stuff. And you're kind of like, wow. And then obviously we all know what happened with Wham after that first yeah. release of theirs. So they was massive and George Michael himself Sadly, no longer with us, but um, great yeah, artist. But Deepak, yeah. Deepak's got some uh, great stories. I think he also featured on Top of the Pops with a band called Blamange. Uh, so Deepak's done a lot of lot of music that people don't know about. Very and... underrated. Like I, I think, obviously, I, I think there's a certain generation that know of it, but, the, but another generation, or oh, a lot of generation, just they, the they, they don't know about. But even now, if you listen to some of the Punjabi albums he's done. And the music he's put into them, Rick, you, you know, they're still kind of like mind blowing because the pieces, uh, he delayed uh, the release of an album, uh, Hira's album, Cool and Deadly, for two years because he waited for the right flute player to play that piece. If you listen to that song called uh, Samsung, in the beginning, there's a flute player and he couldn't find the, the right person to play those pieces. Then Gurdasman came over and Gurdasman in the early days used to have a flute player in his band. So Deepak uh, spoke to them and says, Can you, do you think you could come in into the studio and record a few pieces for me? And that guy came in um, while he was on tour, recorded a few pieces for him, and then Deepak said, now I've finished, this is the album. And, and then he released it. I mean, it's a two-year delay, because people thought after Diamonds, you know, he, he'd hit the peak and that was it. Nothing was ever going to top Diamonds. But yeah. when he did uh, Cool and Deadly, wow, people... That he, he just knocked he knocked people's socks off, blew their mind away, whatever you want to call it. Just, awesome. just in terms of obviously the value of kind of the from the producer side, the marketing side, 
when did you start seeing a shift where potentially where you are asking people to come in to when people were saying, buddy, you got to get us on. Can, can you get us on, please, in, in terms of from a marketing strategy? Um, to be honest with you, you know, as soon as uh, the word got around that BBC Radio Derby are supporting Punjabi music, we was just inundated with requests. There was uh, Friday nights, um, bands would just turn up without even telling us that they're coming. <laughs> so you, you'd be there and there'd be a knock on the door and you were like, open the door and says, oh, um, I hope you don't mind, but you interview God and I am. And you're like, who are you? And then they'd tell you and then they'd give you that, oh, um, okay. Uh, and you've got to imagine we only had a two-hour program. Yeah. So sometimes you, you used to have three or four bands on in one show. So it was kind of like we just got it. How, uh, how could I describe it? It'd be, it'd be like, I suppose, in today's world, it'd be like, uh, uh, say, putting a product out there on YouTube or something, and then all of a sudden it just blows up. Yeah, yeah. Because you yeah. you would, like, I, I, I remember the first time, because I've heard you, like, since I was a kid. And then I was walking down the road and I saw you come out of, was it Music Waves? Music yeah, waves. yeah, 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 yeah. And I, I was walking past, and I heard you. T- uh, then I heard you speak. I turned. I go, that's Polly, because it was like. Okay. So I knew you. I knew your voice, obviously, before I knew your face. Yeah, then, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but people might have had that the same thing with you because they, they've heard you from that bit, and then you know that certain kind of uh, characters or, or radio presenters, they become sometimes even bigger than artists themselves because they become that that that. You know, you could you could you. Could, I could mention your name to like my direction, like oh Polly Tank, and then you say Cash and Polly uh, Radio Exiles. They'll know who uh, you yeah. are straight away because they yeah, they know yeah. from that side. Well, how are you dealing with that side of things? Because one, you got pressure of people that you know saying I want to yeah. come and do it. Then you got yeah. your own kind of hang on a second, my, my life's changing here slightly. What 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 happens? Uh, uh, Rick, um, I think because you've worked with me uh, and you you've probably seen a side of me that. Probably no, no, no other. You know, um, mm. uh, I've always tried to keep sort of down to earth about it, and uh, and you know, and I've always said to people, you know, uh, the full time job I do as a social worker keeps me well grounded. Mm. Yeah, because that's where I see the reality of life most days of my job. So doing this radio thing, it's 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 brilliant. And don't get me wrong, I've, I've there's not a moment I haven't enjoyed. Yeah. And I'm hoping I can go on to enjoy many more years. Yeah, uh, but it's that that that's really kept me grounded. And and I've always said to people, look, I'm still am I'm just a boy from the Bronx, kind of like you know. And I've grown up, and I still am that in the Bronx. I'm still approachable. People can come and talk to me. And like you said, yes, people recognise me by my voice more than my face. Mm. Yeah, and you know. So be it, you know, but obviously uh, it was just on Saturday. Uh, we did a daytime gig in Birmingham. Um, the DJ sort of finished the night off and we're walking down. He's got his equipment and I say, yeah, let me give you a hand. So he's carrying, we're walking down the stairs and we're chatting away and he said, you know what, because he, he, he had heard me, um, you know, uh, on stage. He says, man, he goes, she was cool on stage, you know, the way you come across you. I says, well, I not, not, don't want to say anything, but I said, I've got about 40 years' experience of it now. So if I can't master my art now, I'll never be able to master it, will yeah. I, really? And he was like, but who are you then? <laughs> and I kind of like laughed and I says, I, I, it don't matter, does it? You yeah. know, I'm just 
He says, no, no, seriously, Tom. And I says, oh, I'm polytank. And he just dropped his equipment. He went, you're polytank. And I went, yeah. And he went, oh, my God. He kind of like, it was almost like that. He froze for a few minutes to realize that, oh, my God, this is polytank. This is, I don't know. I've listened to this guy. I've heard this guy of whatever, you know. And he just went straight. He goes, can I have a photo with you? And I was like, of course you can. I goes, what's, he goes, I, I didn't realize you was Polly. I says, yeah, no, no, no. I goes, I was on, I know, in Little Writing, it was it was there, Polly hosted by Polly Tank. I thought, you may have, no, he goes, no, I, I, I said, yeah, yeah. So I, I still get that. I mean, I'm still, when I go out and about, I still get stories of, you know, like you said, you listen to me, uh, and, and people are still coming up and they're saying to me, oh, we listen to you on XL, we listen to you at BBC Radio Derby. Yeah. I mean, the, the biggest uh, uh, fan, I suppose, is Dips Bamra. Mm. Um, I mean, only a few weeks ago, we interviewed him again about his childhood memories, etc., etc., and everything. And he's still, you know, every time I hear that story, you can still hear it. Also, it's almost like he goes into regression yeah. of him being that kid coming home on a Friday, uh, fishing chips or That's whatever, it, was, you know, and put yeah. the radio on. He said all the family used to sit and listen, and you're just like, "Wow, really?" We yeah, had but that that's much what, of an impact. That's what it was like. I, I said, it like from the kid, I even like I haven't thought about it in thirty years or something, right? But I even remember the radio, what it looked like. I've never thought of that before. I remember the radio in the kitchen because like we'd finish our food, and it used to be the only place the radio used to be in the kitchen. So we used to have that <laughs> and then listen to it, and then like. Mom, like mom's in the kitchen and she'd be and the bongo we'd run out and listen to the latest song or what whatever it was so it's i think i, I know i know the kind of person that you are you're very you, you're exactly very humble and you've helped a lot of people that people don't even know about i can tell you that now and one day there'll be a time where i can share and go into it you know where, I, I know because when we've had the conversation you don't necessarily want to drill down into too much of the stuff but no, no. You know the the amount of stuff and and the work that you've done and and how you've helped people has been has been crazy. But it's the soundtrack of your life, and when you kind of reflect back and you think, oh, I remember this time. I remember what we would, you know, what albums were coming out then, and 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 where we were. And and I think so. You know, I want to kind of like move it progressively on because then when you mm. became, you got this voice now. Everybody knows you at that point you started getting approached by other radio stations to see, you know, to, to do that. And one of them was the biggest in kind of non, um, uh, so the biggest commercial kind of radio in, in, in that way, independent radio, which was Radio Excel at the time, which came out. So what was, how, do, how were you approached and, and what did you, what was your first thoughts of it? Um, we had a, uh, well, a friend of Amagit's, uh, Brian Thornycroft um, was, um, Amajit's right hand man for many many years and I'm sure they're still pretty good friends now um, he got involved uh, in the first sort of you know as they started gathering to get that radio station together first of all what happened prior to that there was uh, petitions uh, by the sort of community there in Birmingham to try and get a commercial station up and running um, Mr. Ayub from Oriental Star uh, Agencies was very, very uh, instrumental in that. He got a lot of his community on. There was uh, some Sikh community, Hindu community all got together. So everyone was petitioning to get uh, this commercial station put together. So eventually, as this, I think a license agreement was given, uh, 
things started moving on. And Brian Thornycroft, he got the job of head of sales. And through Amajit, we knew Brian very well as well. And I think he'd, he'd even been down a few times to Derby with Amajit and we'd met. And so he knew us quite well. And so he approached uh, Cash uh, and myself. He said, how would you feel about doing um, a show for Radio XL? Um, and, you know, I mean, straight away, it's kind of like, well, it's Birmingham and we're in Derby. And so you're kind of like thinking, Birmingham. But then we always knew that Birmingham was the, I, will, I still say it to people, the world capital of Bangladesh music is Birmingham. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so, and we knew a lot of our listeners already from the Ajkal BBC show were West Midlands kind of like based. And so for us, it was like we're going home almost to our fan base. Uh, and not disregarding the East Midlands because we had a lot of fans in the East Midlands as well. But West Midlands was just like, wow. We was thinking audiences. We was thinking like, you know, even just musically, all the record companies were based there. A lot of the artists were sort of West Midlands. So meeting, hooking up with them, catching up with them, going to the record companies, how easy would it be? Um, there was quite a lot of negotiation went on between us and the then management of Radio XL. Um, we finally came to some agreement in in early 1995, um, just before the radio launched its signal. Um, so it launched a signal and just, I think they did a four, four week like signal test. So in that four week period, we come and like came across and agreed that we would join and we would do a Saturday morning breakfast program from eight till 11. Um, and yeah, it, that, that was just like, I mean, the breakfast program was the beginning of what, what was to be, but Obviously, they knew we was going to come um, with all the knowledge, all the experience, the music, bang, it was there. Um, and, and even now, you know, um, if you look at Radio XL's playlist, they haven't got um, not even a fraction of what I've got. Yeah, because I remember, I remember when, I, um, when you were reminiscing when I was there that you would come in, your coffees were ready. It was like yeah. superstar treatment. <laughs> used to yeah. come in, do the show. All the artists would just come and see and speak to you guys. Turn yeah. around, you go out with them, and that, that was it. Well, once, once, I mean, once, obviously, all the industry sort of realised we was in Birmingham, then, you know, um, the phone calls started coming in, like, oh, um, after the show, will you come and meet us? Uh, you know, the record companies, um, oh, we've got a new release coming out. Can you pop over? And you know, have a listen to it and, and take a copy of it for the show next week. So it kind of like moving to Birmingham, everything just kind of like fell into place for us yeah. because everything became a lot easier. It wasn't, we weren't waiting anymore. We could pop over to Roma Music. We could pop over to Oriental Star. Envy um, towards when I was down there, you used to took me to Envy a few times. Yeah, yeah. So Envy, um, you know, all the other smaller record companies as well. Because it wasn't like we just chose our favourites. And said, ah, you know, we're only dealing with the big boys. We we dealt with them all. You know, yeah. like you say, Music Wave. There was another couple of uh, labels, uh, smaller labels in Birmingham. We dealt with them. High Tech was another mm-hmm. major major player. Um, so they sort of all, you know, if, if we didn't go to see them, they would come to Radio XL and they would wait, and they would, you know, 
you, you might be rushing off or something or whatever, but they say, oh, quickly, here, 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 this is for you. This is, have a listen to it, see what you think, or come and see us next week or whatever. Same with the artists. Once they realised the phone calls started coming, oh, yeah, you know, we've got a new album coming out. Uh, can we come on air? Duh, duh, duh. But the difference with Radio XL, it was a commercial station. So everything was about money, you know. Um, we didn't have the luxury of having a fund like you do with the BBC. So a new sort of element started for us as well is because we had to get in, you know, the industry sort of sort of used to this commercial element of so they had to whereas, pay for the advertising now. Yes, all of a pay for advertising, pay to come on the show. And so it was like talking to the rate. We, we went straight to the record companies and told them that this is what's happened. This is where we are, but we're on a commercial station now. But with it being commercial, you can sponsor the show. You can sponsor an hour. You can sponsor the whole show. You can sponsor. So in our first uh, shows, Rick, all, all, all three hours were sponsored by different records. And every week there was queuing up. There's almost like fighting amongst themselves. So now it's our turn. The week. free CDs used to come out, man. <laughs> and, and that's that, that was it. You know, anytime you know you phoned any of the companies up and said, um, can we have some stuff for competition? You know, you'd think like, oh, they're going to drop us four or five CDs off. They'd drop 25 off. You know, a, a full box yeah. that they'd give to a shop. They'd say, yeah, I'll let you. And you'd be like, what, 25 CDs? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so you'd be like, competition prizes were just like piled up. Um, and there weren't enough, we, we, we weren't on air enough to sort of, you know, get all the deep seed, but bit by bit, obviously, you know. We, we, and you were getting like, even, even people, um, I, I'm in danger of kind of ending these <laughs> stories for you because I just want to get, you know, get them out as much. But, you know, you'd get in big senior art. I remember Gladass Marco, want, like, here's, here's the tickets, give the, make sure you get the tickets very briefly and then when we do mega Mellar and all of these kind of things going and like artists knowing you on first name, first name basis. And it was like, this guy is the original, like this guy's a connector in terms of, it, it, I, I could see the popularity even at that point, um, you know, from being that commercial station. Yeah. Uh, I think for me, Rick, I've always kind of like considered them as extended family, you know, the, the industry, um, all the artists. I mean, even now um, when, when I see them or meet them, it's still like we're we're just we're, we're friends, you know. The, 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 I mean, with all the art, I've never, even though I've had favourites music, you know, where I think, oh no, you know, I've got to listen. Got to, I've never ever kind of like let that come across to say, yeah. uh, you know, I've only got one favourite artist and that's all I'm going to play. I mean, even meeting Gurdas Man, people like that, uh, Manak, Surinder Shindar, Hans Raj Hunts, you name them. You know, it's always been that, you know, what you guys have done. Is brilliant because in their own way they've written their own chapters, mm. and you can't take that away from them. you can't take that stuff away from Manak what he's done. No one can, no one can touch it, no one can repeat it. Gurdas Man's the same, you know. Started in nineteen eighty one. Look where he is now. Yeah, you can't take away from what he's done. I Me mean, people did, might not like. People the, might not. Did you? Appreciate the, him. I remember ringing you from India. Actually. Did you did you do the last interview with Kaka? Uh, Kaka yeah, 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 yeah. So, and 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 that's you know, to, and 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 to think I've got that photo with him in the studio, and that kind of like I, I still see it and I still think, oh my god, you know. And then um, maybe just after you left, um, Jagjit Chitra came on my show. Mm-hmm. A few months later, he passed away. Yeah. Um, 
Yamla Jat. I did a uh, stage. Uh, we did a um, 1989. We did a, a dome concert with him, where he came on, and we did a Bhangra accolades. And I stood on stage with this man while he was singing, and I was holding his microphone for him while he played the dumbi for us. Now, on the day, you know, people say, well, what, what? I said, on the day, all I was worried about, he was a, an old man, very delicate. Uh, he'd come from India, and I think it was quite cold. And he still insisted on wearing just his kurta, dhoti, you know, like he, that's how he was. And I was just thinking, it's cold, he's old, and I don't want anything to happen to him. So I was really kind of like looking after him as, and not even thinking that, this guy, because of him, this is why we've got all of this that's happened, you know. And when people hear that story of he created the tumbi from the tumba, so, you know, that one-stringed instrument that people still are so passionate about now, yeah. he created it. And to have stood next to him on stage and su supported him to perform is... Uh, I, I haven't got the words to describe that, Rick. My, honestly, my I, Baba, I, I, but my Baba bought a thumbi off him. Yeah, and I had yeah. it, and as kids, we just broke yeah. it apart. <laughs> but yeah, well, you, yeah, you know, but it's just, it's just like the significant. What I'm, what I'm getting at is like, you know, how when you think of the introduction I gave you, it, it, it it's quite apt in terms of like, you know, from from what you were doing. Was there? Um, I want, I want to ask this slightly negative question, and then come back onto a bit more positive side of it which which was you you and you and polly obviously parted ways during that bit and you you know i think in that Ash. yeah sorry yeah it's not yeah. a negative i'll come back I'll, I'll edit this bit in there. um did you feel like you, you came into your own being and you kind of blossomed your your personality came across and i think you you were one that I think the, the 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 listeners kind of engaged into you. Do, um, I want to add the, the question I'm trying to get at to get to you is that from the point of where you were in the early '80s and when you've got into the media side, did you sense the growing nature of politics in the industry becoming more and more um, contagious? Yeah, Rick. I'll be I'll be honest with you. Uh, the politics side from from virtually when, when when we sort of got into radio, going out interviewing and stuff like that. You, you know, I've seen plenty of politics, dirty tricks, all of that. You know, I, I've never ever been a fan of anything like that because I always believe in um, kind of like for our community, they are, uh, you know, we're still living in a land which, are, is it really ours? I mean, are we here forever now or is there a time that might come that we could still get ejected from this country? Yeah. So to be here and to having sort of grown up, uh, I suppose, in my own community and culture where we was always taught to be, the, you know, the, this is it. This is our circle of friends. So we need to keep this kind of circle. And then to come out and start seeing that in an industry that was just, starting to get established and it was building up um, its reputation. It was building up to becoming what it was. You saw those between the bands sometimes. Some of it was nasty, but some of it was genuine rivalry as well, Rick, is that if um, 
if if say I'm not I don't want to name names, yeah, because people. So if band A released an album, and all the other bands heard it, they would say, "My God, what an album! We need to do something that's better than that." So the it was like a friendly, but it's that, that's competition. healthy competition. Yeah, that's, that's healthy, healthy competition. competition. So every band, you know, no matter what who it was, as soon as a new release release came out, we all went to the shops to buy it because we all wanted to know what the new sound was or what the new song was or what. And and that was it. So it was a very, very healthy competition that developed. And it, it kind of like almost, you know, pushed each band to go back into the studio and do something different and do something better. But every band had their own sound. It's very unique to one band. Yeah, there was no band of that sort of, you said, oh, they did that, so you've done exactly the same. No, it wasn't that. Every band had their own sound. When you heard them live, it, you, you could tell it was which band it was. When you heard them produce albums, you knew straight away without even looking at the... You, you could just hear it and say, this is, this is that band. Or this producer has worked with this band to produce this. So you could even choose or tell the producers, um, i.e. the biggest example is Deepak and also Guljit Bomra who's not mentioned very often, but if you have a, a think about him, I mean, he did Jagbala Milla. Yeah, he did a lot of Premi albums. He did Gurdasman, Pir Tere Jandi, and the album after that as well. So this guy, you know, also is a massive, massive producer. He's been doing music since he was a kid. His own mother was a singer. She did the original Giddar Pal Harnadil song, Mahinda Kobamra. And they had their own little band called the Bamra. Uh, it was the family. His brothers also played instruments. So they had their own family set up as well. And he produced many, many albums. Then, of course, he went on to <coughs> Sangeeta as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Produced uh, her albums. And then he's, he's, he's done lots of work. And even now he's created an electronic double R. Wow. Yeah. And <coughs> for the first time ever, uh, double R music is going to be notified. So you'll be able to give it to someone and say, this is what we want you to play for this song. You know, whereas before, double R players have just gone up and say, you play it and I'll match something up. Now you'll be actually get notified music to say, this is what we want you to play to this. Yeah. So he's done all of this. So in his own, and, and, and of course, he's an MBE now uh, and well-deserved. Um, like I said, he's 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 influenced um, a lot of lot of musicians and artists in his time as well. But to do an album with Gurdasman, Jandi, to think that was produced here in London, the sound of it, yeah, the songs, the sound, everything, and to think that was a guy in London that that knocked that album out. So you know, uh, the UK. Uh, do you believe London. that? So, do you believe that the politics of people not getting their true kind of uh, credit is, is is what you're getting at, or is it? Um, more... Some of it may be about credit. Some of it, it's just out of because, um, for instance, if I gave you a, an example, in the early days, uh, there was quite a few bands. For like, even I mean, even Jarak Bachan was two bands. Yeah, yeah. It was only uh, later that they joined to become Chirak Bachan, but in, initially they was two bands. Uh, I think Shin started out life with a band called Leo, uh, and I think Danny was part of that band as well, uh, or, or, or I can't remember whether it was Charlie and Shin, but it was like two of them were in one band, 
before Danny or they got the three of them got together and, and, and formed DCS. So there was a lot of kind of um, I suppose bands falling out, bands remaking, bands reshaping. But how did that? How was it difficult for you because you still got a relationship with all of them and you're interviewing that? Were you put in like a difficult kind of spot? I mean, like believe it or not, even. I get a little bit of headache from people even when I'm doing this and I don't really give a shit, you know what I mean? And whereas yours is like, you're you're probably one of the first people to try and prof- professionalise a desi market or a, or an industry in there. And then you've got people already going to try and potentially spoil it. We, 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 we never got involved in the politics of it, Rick. You know, so if, if there was um, two or three bands who didn't, we, we, we didn't want to get into the, their politics. You know, we always say, look, that's not our problem. We're here. It's like you're doing your job. Yeah, you're doing what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. If something else is happening somewhere else with another artist, what can you do about it? How yeah. can you change it? I mean, we, we tried. I mean, we tried. We even, uh, uh, 1987, 86, 87, we set up a um, AMA committee, Asian Music Arts uh, and we had a Midlands branch and we had a London branch and we um, got them together as a music industry to try and sort of solve some of these issues that were popping up yeah. and to work together as an entire industry. The only good thing that came out of the AMA was they did a Gurpur album. Gurpur yeah, 90. Gurpur 90. Yeah, yeah. A double cassette. I went there. So, I went to that. Yeah. Yeah. So that was the best thing that came out of AMA. It worked for a while. Then it kind of like just faded away again. Uh, but the setup was there. We put an infrastructure in there for everyone to try and help each other. But the battles um, for bands out there were on a regular basis. I mean, getting record deals, going to gigs, not getting paid, um, you know, the, the, the kind of things. And then royalties was always a massive, massive issue. I mean, we even set up um, interviews with PRS, MCPS. They We interviewed them on radio on behalf of the industry to try and find out what people need to be doing. We literally were not only letting them come on show and promote themselves, but we was trying to guide them into this is what you need to be doing. Sign up with this. You know, PRS, get yourself registered. Do this, do that so you can get royalties. So we was kind of like educating them as well to sort of in, a, in an attempt to move the whole industry forward and rather than just rely on records because to, to this day there's a lot of artists and bands who sold everything to the record companies yeah their rights everything mm. so those record companies would give them a lump sum and they would be happy bringing the lump sum home and dividing it amongst the band and saying there's our payment but not realizing that 25, 30 years down the line, that record company still collecting royalties for something they produced back in the 80s. Yeah. And some companies who have been very, very clever about it, just before their license agreement runs out, they remix it and relaunch it again. So they've got it for another 25 years. Yeah. The only, comp- the only band that really caught on to this was a LARP. And they set up their own, uh, I think it was called JCR. Chenni was one of them. Randir was the other. And I can't remember. Uh, maybe. 
Okay. No, I don't think it was Johnny. It was the original members of a LARP. I can't remember the other. I think he was the guitarist. So they set up their own uh, pub publishing. So what they did is they would let a record company release their album, but the royalties and rights belonged to them. Hence, when Johnny did the uh, album about four or five years ago, and he did a, a reworking of all of his songs, so that's given him another 25 years of royalty. So wherever that's played in the world, and as long as it's registered, they, he'll collect royalties from it. Uh, and that's what we always said. In the, in the long run, a lot of artists... Uh, never, it was never... It was so hard to see in terms of what, how people access music now as, yes, as well. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and if you think about it, there's people like Malkit Singh who have probably lost out on so many royalties. A.S. Kang. Oh. <sighs> You know, I, 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 someone like him, he's probably got money waiting out there that you don't even know about. And then you, you look know? at some of the Punjabi artists that they had it done, brought up like Mark, everyone's playing Mark Chumkila. Imagine the vote. royalties. Yeah, you think. I mean, his family, by rights, I mean, Mark Chumkila, all of those artists, their family should be living off their royalties. Yeah, uh, with no problems, no concerns. Uh, you know, Gurdas Man, another one. If you look on uh, the majority of his albums, he sold his rights. You know, and, and I'm not saying that obviously Gurdas man, look, he he does a lot of live shows, so he's yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just in terms of if you're comparing it to how yeah. people are releasing now and and the mainstream there, yeah, it was, yeah. Just, it was just a different time. I think that's the only way yeah. you could kind of make peace, make peace yeah. with yourself. Uh, so you think some of Gurdas man's biggest hits are not actually owned by himself anymore. Yeah. They're owned by um, whoever he's released the albums with. Uh, and so at any time, they can pick it up, they can remix it, they can do what they want with it, um, and they can still continue to make money from it. Um, and and so um, that that is where our industry, um, it needed that education. So... We, we try to educate them as well. But as, as for the actual politics, we was never interested in it. it was, for us, it was like a um, it was like a baby. You know, and you're bringing it up to be the best it possibly could be. And that's what we wanted for the industry. Not that we was, you know, people think, oh, in an individual, and I tell you something, even to this day, um, I've probably put more in than I've actually got out of it myself. Yeah, and the only people that are witness to that would probably be my family. Mm. Well, I yeah. used to know. I used to see it when I used to see you going on Saw Road, and then you're buying you're buying it yourself. You know, like where yeah. it was going, and I used to kind of do the maths at the same time, and you just think, the guys, doing yeah. it, where's the kick? Like you should be giving it in for bloody free. See, there's, there's, there's the, I mean, there's albums. I've got the cassette, I've got the LP, I've got the CD, and yes, now I've created created the digital myself. Uh, but with a lot of them, I've told them that I've made it digital. So even then, I've tried not to, you know, sort of say, I've done it digital, I'm making money. I'm not making any money out of it, but purely for myself, because now even radio, I mean, BBC now, we've got the latest technology, it's all digital. Had I not made my music digital, I'd be struggling now to even go on air, yeah. uh, to be able to do a show. So digital is the new way, and um, and, and to keep up with it, you know, I've I've had to do it. I've had to do it. I mean, even the stage there was the um, uh, mini disc, oh, mini discs as well. And and I've still got a mini disc player, and some of my music still on mini disc. 
but that was another thing. And even prior to all of that, um, when I say to people, there is a system called 8-track that used to fit in your car. Uh, and people are like, what the hell is that? But 8-track was even before cassettes and vinyl. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just want to, like, I want to, I want to bring it a little bit together and then where we kind of met in that bit. So like, you always had a great relationship, you know, on air that we had with like, with Clash and stuff. And then it, 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 it fell apart. Um, it it kind of like Rick, what it was is, you know, sometimes, because um, obviously uh, we, we had worked together since uh, 1986. Uh, yeah, Cash was on BBC Radio Darby. And so we, we'd been part of that team. And even for us, I mean, the journey is, it's not always been like, oh yeah, this, this is a, you know, we've had our problems. Mm. Um, we've had issues, you know, amongst ourselves, between ourselves. Um, and the thing is, 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 you know, when you've got a team like that, we've all sort of had our own directions. I've always had my direction was that I was DJing. So I had my own road show. So I was getting out there a lot more than what Sati, Nick or Cash was. So, I mean, even now, I think uh, only a couple of weeks ago, I met someone who says, um, you did my son's first birthday party. <laughs> Thanks for making me like, old, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I, and I like, uh, how old is your son now? And I says, oh, he's married and he's got a child. And I was like, okay, wow. Right. Is that where you go, yeah, yeah do you need another booking? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's where I give him another card and say, I'm yeah. still available. That's it, that's it, that's it, that's it. <laughs> but yeah, so, you know, you'd think like things like that. So I was getting out there a lot more. So, you know, from the early days, we started picking up work in, in the Midlands. Then uh, we started picking up work with all the promoters from the early shows. So, you know, when people say to me, um, of you know, you're a, you used to DJ and stuff like that. I said, look, I've I've probably done all the top clubs in 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 Central England, uh, certainly London as well. Uh, I've been far as Glasgow Barrowlands. Uh, been to San Francisco. I spent a whole summer in Spain with Malkit Singh. Uh, I actually remember that. Yeah, uh, we was out there every other weekend. And you know how much that interfered with my um, sort of work. It was unbelievable, but it had to be done. And then it was like fly out, um, spend a night there, do a gig, fly back in, and back to work. Not, I remember there was a festival that you were doing the sound, the sound check, the sound the, the, with the sound desk. And yeah, you yeah, yeah. Showing me the photos of it, and, I, and you said, "Look at the size of this desk." <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, it, and that was it. And you was working with this equipment, and some of it was like you know only probably used in mainstream um, places. And I suppose the biggest place I've been, and Malkit took me once again, was to Hollywood Bowl, and he performed there. It was, I think, it was a Diwali we went, uh, and we was like you know, VIP, superstar kind of status. We was in this hotel, everything, and we was, it was, it just feels unreal. Mm. It's like chauffeur drowned everywhere. You wanted anything, people running around for you, clicking, you know, and, and so we went and performed at the uh, Hollywood Bowl and I was sat there and I did the sound for him there. And, and, and there, the booth, it was, it just kind of like all day long, it was kind of like a flat booth. And we was doing the sound to an empty stadium. It was quite different. And, you know, the guys were saying to me, you know, as, as it fills up and it did fill up, the sound would dampen. 
So we're probably going to have to adjust it later. So when I got back to the sound booth, all of a sudden the sound booth started going upwards. And I was like saying to him, what the hell are you doing, guys? And he's like saying, oh, we have to get above the kind of like sound of what's coming out because otherwise the crowd will just, you, you won't hear it. You won't hear it. So I'm raised up in, I don't know how high up, and I'm not even thinking about looking. I'm, I'm afraid of heights, by the way. Yeah. So I'm not even thinking about looking, <laughs> high, you know. And these guys are saying, yeah, okay, can you hear the sound now? I said, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, let's start tweaking a bit. Uh, and, and so we had to get the tweak round. And because it was an outdoor, there was the, the sound was kind of like, it was traveling everywhere. So there was no control over it. But the guy said, they told me that that's how it happens there because of the way the, the, the design is of it. But the music, he said, as, as it comes up, uh, because the music, the, the people will get, the, yeah, the acoustics, they will get the full feel of it, whereas we won't. And I was saying, look, I don't care about me as long as the people and the performers, they hear it and it's got to be right for them. That, that's all I needed. But yeah, so it's crazy because I still think, um, and people will still say to me, I'm, I'm just a local boy from Normanton, Derby. Because <laughs> yeah. so, when I when I met you, like Cash had just left at that bit, yeah. And um, I think it's safe to say, from the perception when I met, because I I came in a couple of times to just give you a hand, yeah, and yeah. And I yeah, was I interested, that. and then um, then you're like, ah, and um, yeah. we just got on like, you know, really really well. Had a really good kind of, um, you know, relationship, and I always yeah. look look back at that in fond memories. But I always think that that was started to be the change then where we started getting a lot of pirate, um, you know, all the torrents started to kick in where the CDs, the fake CDs used to start coming. Yeah, and that yeah. used to start hemorrhaging and hitting the the labels at such a level that Massive. that reinvestment and the quality of, of music started to go downhill really, really quickly. The, the, the problem is, is um, when the CD technology came in, um, what a lot of the artist didn't realize is that they was actually giving them a master. So the quality is that good that normally they would only produce that from, uh, you know, if you, if you were remastering, they would produce that as one master and then remaster from that. So when you was doing a CD, Rick, you was handing your master out to everyone. So if you released in the UK and say by the next two days, I could get that CD to, America, Canada, India, right? And someone could pick it up there, copy it, bang, stick a new label on it. Here's the latest album from. And and the and and the thing is, there was no control. And the thing is, is there's no uh, legislation that covers over the three sort of Americas, Europe, and Asia. They've all got different policies on music. So. If you went to America to try and challenge it and it's not registered there, you didn't have a leg to stand on. Same as with India, uh, Middle East, wherever. If you haven't actually got a contract in that country with a record label, you got no leg to stand on. So, yeah, you was it was literally, you know, when we used to speak to him, it's almost like giving you music away for free. Yeah. And, and that's what happened because it I, impacted. I, I remember it coming up as a discussion because um, Taz Stereo Nation, he yeah. came in for an interview and I remember because I gave he needed a thumbi sample because he, he was doing that re, the for um you know his song. Yeah, and yeah. um side story, I don't know if you remember this, but you should. 
where you can you concocted a story that was published in the paper that the, that there was a, that the the lyrics in there there's a very dodgy line in there yeah and, yeah, and it yeah, got yeah. banned but this radio station didn't exist and the story of the PR came from that bit um, yeah it's 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 all sort of um you know sometimes uh, you know people say bad news is bad news but sometimes bad news for an artist is good news because um, if there's a bit of bad news about an artist, everyone wants to know mm. what it is. What? It, yeah. Well, what, 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 what was it? What was, what's he done? What's he got yeah. caught with? What? So th- th- the story was, you know, that the radio station had banned because of that one word in the song. So they'd banned the song. So that it kind of like picked up one, one uh, I can't remember which paper picked up on it first. They picked up on it. And then, you know, kind of like the headline was Taz music is banned. So you can imagine that. How it kind of like? What do you mean? Taz's music is banned. He's what? What? Why? Why? What is it? Yeah. What song is it? So everyone just wanted to hear what that word was. So yeah. what happened was they went out and bought the music to hear that one word, Genius. and out of that, it that song became a hit. Yeah, because I gave him a, I gave him, I had a, I had a spare copy of a, a Monarch album which had the original Thumbi sample, which was Gui Morleavoni in the. In there, yeah, yeah. so I, I always remember that story because it was the first time I, I virtually I visibly saw the game in terms of like a PR point of view that I didn't, you know, as a punter before, I didn't know that side even existed anymore. Like it didn't even existed, and I also you kind of how it was con- constructed and put together for. Yeah, you had to, you had to have kind of like I mean, we, we you know, obviously been in Birmingham, um, doing PR work with artists and companies kind of almost fell hand in hand uh, because we, we was there every Saturday. Yeah. So our Saturdays, I mean, sometimes, uh, you know, I, I know we used to finish the show. I mean, because yeah. I've got a couple you, of stories that I need verifying that you're the only person who knows this, by the way. So can it, can yeah, yeah. So ju- just let me quickly. Uh, so obviously we'd finish the show. And then after that, I'd still be in Birmingham, you know, come seven, eight o'clock. Yeah. yeah. Still drive it, you know, and then I've got to go now. I've got to go home. So, you know, it, it, when I used to say to people, oh, when I go to Birmingham, it's a full day. I've got nothing else to do except be in Birmingham, meet people or speak to them. Um, the other PR kind of stuff we did was with, with Malkit um, when we did Millennium Mixes. Uh, and we took him on a tour of record, sh- record shops um, up and down. Um, you know, London, uh, Midlands, and then in Manchester. And I remember when we went to Manchester, um, I, forget, I forget the name of the video shop there. They sold out, so they had to run around Manchester, get cassettes from their other, like, record stop, you know, stores. So, because there was a massive queue, and they'd put up a, a sign saying, Market Sing here at this time, and to get signed photo, da da da. And so all the stock they'd got of uh, Millennium Mix sold out. So they managed to drive around Manchester, pick up other from other record shops and everything, just to get enough cassettes into the store so they could get him signing and 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 there. And we spent about two hours there. And for two hours, I, you know, he didn't get a break. He just signed, uh, smiled, photos, you know, chatted to people. The shop was abs- Bar- Barn Rhythm was the name of the shop. I just remembered, absolutely full of punters just coming out to see him. But because we'd gone out on tour and done this little thing, it meant his album sold more. Mm. You know, just on that one weekend, 
which was the initial weekend, we actually managed to sell out more of his album than anywhere. So for him, brilliant. Record company were pleased with it. Uh, and plus Cash and myself, we'd executive produced that album. So wow. it, it, it was good in that sense. But just to be out there and doing these kind of things and giving people sort of titles for their albums, giving them PR stunts, giving them, you know, stuff to think about, you know, um, you know, don't just be, we always used to say to them, don't just be that one singer on stage and you just hold the mic and just sing into the mic and don't interact. You've got to interact with the crowd. You've got to make it feel like it's a live show here. Be with me. Um, so even bands like Pradesi, we did we did, we did did a lot with them. Uh, we got Pradesi to smash a, a keyboard at Wolverhampton. Okay. <laughs> like, rock and roll, mate. They had an old keyboard and we said, just do it on stage in the middle of the song. And they did it. And, you know, the whole crowd, Foxes, they just stopped and watched while Pradesi, all the music, uh, the band smashed up a keyboard. They literally, I mean, if you'd seen it, if that was a man who was on the floor there, it looked like serious GBH. But they really kicked the crap out of this keyboard. And I mean, when they smashed it, they smashed it to little pieces. And little pieces were flying everywhere. And all of a sudden, I was thinking, nah, maybe it weren't a good idea. But it was New Year's Eve. So... But it worked for Brandisi because they had a little bit of that rock edge to their music. Uh, and so it kind of like paid off from it worked. But they hit, yeah, they hit the right chord. They definitely did make that night. <laughs> so so did you did you start to think that this was the kind of decline of commercial radio at that point in terms of the when that because you, you started to see you started to see releases start slowing down the band scene started going uh the dj started to take over a bit more punjab uh, music scene started to rev up massive and um it was almost like a perfect storm that all these things were coming and combining together at that time Do you, is that a fair was that a fair comment to say I, th- I think it probably is rick because um at, at that time you know one is the uk revenue had gone down from sales, yeah. Uh, sales weren't happening. Um, so obviously losses, record companies uh, were suffering losses. Uh, pirating, I can remember, I can't remember, um, I think going around to Movie Box and um, I was chatting with Shabir one day and I says, you know what, and he showed me, uh, Rick, uh, he pulled out two CDs and he put them in my hand. He goes, now, Polly, you tell me which is original, which is a fake. And I was looking now. I had a good look for about five minutes and I said, I can't tell. He says, well, this one's a fake. This one's the original. He said, but here's all my originals sitting here in my shop because people are returning them because they can't sell them. But the fake ones are, are, you know, people are just, you know, corner market, wherever. And then what also happened is... Um, uh, a lot of our, once again, I don't want to name names, but a lot of our own record retailers, once they got their computers in, they realized they can burn off copies as well. So you could get an original, say, for £10, or you could have a burned copy for fiver. Mm. So even they was kind of like, yeah, knocking out. In on, the, in on, the in on it, yeah, of course. So all, all of these uh, impacts kind of like them. And then obviously, like you said, Punjab kind of like all, all of a sudden started hitting back um, in a big way with a, with a lot, a lot of music. 
And all they'd done is they'd listened to the UK market, probably spoke to some of the producers over here, seen them performing out there, picked up the techniques of what, what we're doing over here and started reproducing it over there. And if you compare even now, if you want to do a video, right, you can spend five grand here in the UK, right? But for five grand in India, you can probably do an album of videos. Yeah. So so it's massive different. And then if you look at the quality as well, that's coming from their videos in India. Uh, they're almost like short stories. Yeah, it's all. It's every, everybody's kind of raised the game in terms of co in, in comparison to now. It's just yeah. gauging that that temperature, the the, the yeah. vibe at that time. Because you know, even in that short time when when I was working with you, um, I was kind of advertising some of the gigs. We had a we you know we had a great laugh going. Like I said, like you interviewing Anil Kapoor, that was a a mad oh, one. That, make, that was yeah. a, that was absolutely crazy. That yeah, day, yeah. I remember that. That uh. The funny, I was with Doc, the next because you said to me, "Oh, like get the sort of the deck," and I was just playing. I played grassroots the whole album from start to finish because I didn't know what I was doing. I yeah, had Doctor yeah, yeah. Zeus with me, and he was giving me a CD. I was just put on his whole whole album. <laughs> it was just, it was, it was a crazy time. There wasn't like a structure in, in there. I mean, but you know, from what you what you did at that point, and then you, you, I mean, I would say you made one of the most graceful kind of exits out of that out of the out of the radio at the radio at the time. And I remember calling you on your last day, and we had I was on air and had a chat. How did yeah, you yeah. know that that was enough? Like you did your time because you did about twenty years there, did you? It, it was it was twenty years. I mean, twenty years for me. Once again, you know, when I think about it, that's, that's two decades. And it, but twenty years, you know, click of a finger, it's gone. But the time came is when, um, you know, people will say, I, I didn't want to leave. Now, let, let me just say, you know, I want to get that on record because people think I've left. I didn't want to leave that show. Yeah. That show, oh, I, I, I don't know how to do That show for me, Rick, uh, on a Saturday, didn't matter how tired I was, how worn out I was, leaving here, Derby, Saturday morning, put almost like a spring back into my step every Saturday. And I loved that show. It was mine, something I'd conjured together. Mm. The way that the three hours went, the three hours flew by every, it almost felt like 45 minutes to me. Mm. That's what it felt like. Uh, and people, I mean, the listeners loved it. And the, the thing is, is sometimes occasionally you'd get passing listeners as well. We're traveling and they just yeah weddings we used to get the shout outs on the yeah, wedding. And, going to and you'd, wedding. you'd get their shout outs but then they'd also buzz you we're listening to your show and i'm from so and so we we got nothing like this in could you do one you know and you're like nah not really but you know glad you can join us today hope you enjoy it you know go about and tell your friends about us and so, so radio xl was brilliant for me i'll probably had things worked out a bit better for me, I'd probably still been there, Rick, to be honest yeah. with you. But like I said, um, a lot of differences between myself and the management there. Uh, and, and I think they didn't appreciate what they had. And because they couldn't appreciate what they had, that really kind of like forced my hand. Because I announced, I did announce my, that I'd leave uh, a year before I actually left. And Believe it or not, on the day I'd actually left, the guy, uh, the you know head of Radio XL was still texting me to say, we'll do this for you, we'll do that for you. And I said, you had a whole year to do it. 
and you couldn't be bothered to. So what is the point now? Yeah, yeah. It, it, you've kind of like left it too late. Because even on the last day, they were saying to me, well, don't announce it. Don't announce that you're leaving. But I said, look, I've announced it a year ago. So I, I'm not going to make myself look like a fool just because of you, the way you yeah. run your business and stuff. So, uh, and that was it. But I think for me now, when I look back, um, I'm glad I got out of that station because um, it was it was starting to have a bit of a negative impact on me on how they kind of like treated me how they uh how they saw me i remember while i was on radio xl dip spamra in, invited satya and myself to go and do uh um an interview on his show so we went on to the um, asian network we did uh i think a 40 45 minute interview with dips uh, and we talked through the sort of agile did da, da, da. Mm. and when i got back to radio xl the following Saturday, I'd got a, a, an email from the management there saying you didn't even mention Radio XL once while he was on the you know the Asian network, and and then I emailed him back. I says, you know, you may think that I've only got a career here at Radio XL, but I've actually got a career that predates Radio XL. And we went onto the Asian network, which is a BBC station, to talk about a BBC show. It had nothing to do with my commercial radio yeah. station career or anything i didn't speak about the television i've done anything we just spoke about the agile show so i said maybe you guys need to do a bit of you know reading up on where i've come from and who who i really am in the industry um uh, and so yeah a lot of disagreements in the end um and i've met them since and i still be honest with you you know i'll, I'll say hello to them but that there's nothing else I would ever say to him. And I am, um, you know, I, and, and now I, when I think about it, I've got no regrets because it uh, not going to Radio XL on a Saturday gave me a bit of my life back, which I was missing out on. Yeah, because I remember when we used to talk about Man United, it used to be only at the at the, <laughs> at the show. But like yeah. I used to, and, and, I, and I think, you know, the preparation that you used to put in it, having a playlist written, having it all down, signed up, and then yeah. you used to record the, the show and then listen back to it to make kind of improvements repeatedly yeah. every week. Yeah. You know, that side of the stuff in terms of work, work ethic and preparation is that what people need to kind of appreciate what was being, uh, you know, being done behind there. And um, oh, yeah. and it was all for everybody else and not, not necessarily even for yourself. No, it was, I mean, you, you think to listen back to your own show. Uh, you know, if I've done a three-hour show, you're literally listening back to three hours of radio yeah. on, on your own but uh, but I've always been my, my myself I've always been my own biggest critic mm. always I'm, I can quite easily you know if, if you gave me a show say from I don't know uh, from Radio XL you know and played me through it, I, could, I could probably rip it apart and give it you back and say that's what needs mm. to improve um, and, and I've always been quite comfortable in criticising myself first I don't wait for people to say, oh, Polly, maybe you, I'd say, no, that, that was a bad week. Yeah. And, and I always used to know in the first 10 minutes of starting my show at Radio XL, I always knew it was either going to be a good show or a bad show. You know, those first 10 minutes, first 10 minutes on any show uh, I do, whether it's BBC or Radio XL, um, or even if I'm doing a live set, I know in the first 10 minutes how it's going to go because I just get that feeling. Uh, of yeah, this is a good day. No, this is a bad day. Uh, and of course, 
Cool. Being on radio, it, you do have your bad days, but you still turn up to try and do what you... I just, uh, I just want to highlight a couple of things, like some of my memories of you. One, yeah. you needed a hernia. <laughs> you were, oh, you were, yeah. You were oh, in pain gosh, for a long time. I remember that oh, one. Oh, my God. I, I, I tell you something. I, I, I've, I can remember, you know, while, while I had my hernia up, before I had my hernia up, and uh, I hadn't been out and met my mates uh, for quite a while. And they said, oh, look, we, 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 obviously they knew I was waiting for an operation. And they said, look, just pop out. Don't, you don't have to have an like, alcoholic drink or anything. Mm-hmm. Just come out. And I said, you know what, I'll go on then. You know, because I hadn't been out in ages. And I thought, yeah, I, I miss, because I'm not, you know, when you, yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, you, you need that reset. So I, I went out with them on a Saturday night and we got to this one. I think it was revolution and they was all drinking away and I'd been on soft drinks up to that point. And they said, listen, don't have like a shot or a beer or anything, but have a, like a, you know, there's Alka pop drinks. Yeah. 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 The smaller kind of, yeah. Yeah. And, and, I, and I was like, ten, and I said, ah, oh, you know what? Go on. It, it, what, what's the worst it can do to me? That's what I thought. One, one drink. And you know what? I had uh, not even half of that, half, half a bottle. I was doubled up in pain because it just triggered something inside. And I was actually lying outside, revolutions, curled up in a ball. And they was like, what the hell happened to you? I said, just get me in a taxi and send me home. And they was like saying, should we take you to hospital? Um, and I was like, you can take me to hospital, but I know what the hospital are going to say. They're just going to say, you're on a waiting list for an operation, so you wait. There's nothing we can do now because I wouldn't get an emergency. Um, operation on it uh, so i just came home and that was it so but yeah obviously i carried on doing the show yeah. all the way up to even i always and you used to hold your side as you as you as you were speaking other one yeah. just for you to verify this yeah when we went to a record label and we've already kind of mentioned them and they used to give you kind of vocals and you gave me some cylinder shindar like yeah. to say Rick what do you reckon you could do with this and I had no idea and it's part of the same deal someone else had already made this album and they're going to stick your face on it can you confirm that actually happened right yeah it did it did I, I used to get loads of uh, vocals sometimes um, unmixed masters as they call them um, and they'd have vocals on them from various artists. I don't want to, once again, not naming anyone but, yeah. or not naming any record company. But sometimes, yeah, uh, I would be listening to music that's probably going to be released not for another year and always looking for new ideas, new producers, new uh, ways of getting mixes done. I can remember even sitting in studios and I would say... Um, co-producing some tracks um you, you know giving them say no no don't, don't don't do that let's try it this way um i can remember a, a real famous track that i was part of remixing because i gave them the idea of it once again no name i can't mention the names and stuff but <laughs> i just gave them the idea i says look it it, it was uh, it, well i could tell you it was a bollywood track and this bollywood track had really done well so this record label as part of their package of working with uh, people in India, they managed to get this track. And they was thinking of actually remixing it in a sort of a Bollywood flavour. And I said, why the hell are you even... I said, make it into a Punjabi track. Use the hook line, yeah, and put a nice little beat to it. I says, you've got a Punjabi track all the way. And they was like, you're joking. I said, no, no. We put it together. 
the, 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 the that was the era of when ghost production started coming more and more into it as well. Yeah, oh, there's so many uh, albums and artists out there who have got ghost production, um, and I, I know one of the culprits of ghost production. But uh, so you know, you know, when you kind of reflect on your forty and on the on the forty year career, let's put it this way: what's the um, you know, what's your opinion of the scene right now? Is it uh, so? I'll I'll kind of pre pretext that I really struggle to identify with myself with it. Um, yeah. I like the the kind of hip hop bhangra Punjabi folk band that that's my that's my taste of music, and yeah. I would always go to there first. The newer stuff, I'm I'm I, I fight myself. Yeah, I battle myself to try and yeah. listen to it, even yeah. though I want to support the cause as much of it. What as a, as a as a veteran of of yourself, what's your opinion? I suppose the difficulty in it's almost like. Um... How would I say is it's kind of like music keeps moving on, doesn't it? You know, it's even like when I told you when we first list when we first used to listen to radio, what that format of radio was. Yeah. Then came along sort of our generation. We've moved it on now. There's another generation, and as for music, it's it's it still that it. same sort of journey. So music now is geared up. It's it's purely targeting just the youth, whereas before I think our music. It never had like a, uh, a sort of a, you know, like if you say like a, a, a target audience of 18 to 25. Yeah. Even if you think about A.S. Kang, right, he first started singing in the 70s. Yeah. And then when he released Giovanni and he did the Bullia, every, doesn't matter how old, everyone identified with it. Yeah. If he was young, uh, whether he was, you know, uh, parents, grandparents, there was bits of it you identified with it, yeah. and I, and I do think a lot of our music from that time, that's the thing it's always had. It's appealed across the ages, you know. Dolvinda um, Safri, Mulkid Singh, Jarak uh, Bachan, DCS, all of these bands, Abna Singh, you could carry on naming. They've always had an appeal at, right across the sort of from young to parents to grandparents, and the whole family used to. A whole family could listen to an album. Now, that that music now, Rick, you know, if you are of a certain age, you'll listen to it. I mean, some of the stuff now my son listens to, I probably wouldn't listen to. So it's creating that sort of a bit. Of a, there's some of the stuff I have. I'm not saying it's all bad. Yeah, some of it is. There, there's some good tunes out there. I mean, yeah, Siddu Musawala. Mm. Uh, I've got a few of his tunes which I really like. Yeah, yeah. There's a tune he's releasing tomorrow yeah about Hari Singh Nalva I'm really interested in hearing that yeah? yeah obviously this is after he's passed away but obviously it was pre-recorded and it's going to be released so I really want to hear that um you know the sort of the new sort of look on Hari Singh Nalva who of course was a general of Maharaja Ranjit Singh's army so there are some good elements still there there's still some bits of it I can connect to and I can feel it but there's a lot of it I don't connect to and I do don't you, feel do like do I, feel I like, don't like you know you just talked about like this yeah like, and if you look at some of the people who passed away this year like with suffering yeah. that suffering Taz it, Taz yeah we, we like has it got you in a more reflective m- mood in terms of thinking about you know about um, music and you, what me, your how you identify yourself in there musically are uh, they're, they're big losses for the industry and that's how I I see it, 
It's for the industry and obviously the fans that these artists have got. Yeah, Siddu Musawala, massive following globally. And, and I think that's reflected, hasn't it, by people, you know, passing on uh, their condolences, wanting to, you know, be part of it. You've seen mainstream artists, you know, at their gigs put up his photos. I mean, Drake, Drake. Drake, so you, you, you know what I'm yeah. saying? I mean, for, for that sort of recognition, uh, he, he was huge, yeah? Then you've got people like Safri. I mean, I was just watching um, uh, some videos from uh, India today. They've done tributes to Safri in India. Yeah, they're singing his song, uh, and stuff like that. Uh, the daytime gig the other day, Pardesi uh, did a tribute to him as well. Uh, and to Sudul Skandar, of course, another massive yeah, loss yeah, for yeah. the industry. Um, DJ Ace, uh, early last week, yeah. Devinder Kalsi from Apna Sangeet, the double up player. Yeah, these are all people, uh, how do you call it? They're, they're like my extended family. So it's a bit of a personal loss, but mm. from the industry point of view, they're massive losses because a lot of their stuff isn't documented. Safri's doc isn't, his journey's not documented anywhere. So those skunder the, uh, his journey, Taz, yeah, there's people who know pieces of him. I mean, I've known Taz since the beginning, um, or, you know, his Johnny Z days. And we was the first ones to interview him and what kind of character he was then. And how he sort of almost, he was the guy that could reinvent himself time and time again until he got to this stage of now where he was Taz and he was global. But yet when we met him and we chatted, it was almost like two guys from the, the, the Bronx meeting up and just catching up because I hadn't seen you in years, man. So what you've been up to? And, and that was it. Our talk was not about, you know, you're a big superstar, you're this, you're that. And Taz never, ever spoke like that to me, you know, or come across to say, look, I'm a massive world superstar now. No, we would sit down, we'd have a beer and we would chat just like two guys. And if anyone ever saw us talk, it wouldn't be like, oh, these guys, are, no, we'd just like anyone sitting in a pub having a chat with a mate. Mm. And that's what it was like. And, and that's what I've always had with all of the sort of industry is I've had that sort of relationship with them where I can chat to any one of them as, as a friend and we can talk about music. Um, and, you know, even like I said, this Saturday, I was there with Pradesi, uh, Primi uh, Jol was there, and Atma from Geet the Mega Band, they was yeah. there. And, and our chat was, it was friendly. Yeah. The, the musicians who played, you know, it's like they're mates, extended family. It's not about, oh, you know, you're in this band. You're... So, so, so for me, it is, I'm kind of like, how do you say it? It's, it's almost like I'm, I'm right in the middle of the common denominator with a lot of things in it. And a lot of them, I mean, even now, you know, um, I mean, uh, some of the younger guys who are starting to get to know me now and, and, and they're sort of appreciating stuff, which I appreciate that they're giving me some respect. Some of the younger DJs out there uh, are, are giving, showing me a lot of respect, which is good. But then, um, you know, when people talk about, well, you know, I, I'm, I, 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 you're probably stuck in the 80s. And, and I said, nah, because I, I don't mind. You know, if someone's producing something good, and it sounds good to me and I like it and I think people will enjoy it. I will play it. I don't care who it is. Mm. Yeah. Whether it's a guy who's produced this in his bedroom or whether a guy has got together or a band has got together and produced something. If it's good music and I think it's good, people are going to enjoy it. I don't mind playing it. I, I seriously don't. So even from this modern sort of, there are songs I've picked out where I'll think, yeah, you know, this is a good song. So give it credit where it's due. Um, 
and, and music will live on. It will it'll outlive me, outlive you, Rick. It will carry on. Uh, and all I say to the next generation is try and look after what we've done for you. Yeah, the, the, the root of it is we're Punjabi and we always will be Punjabi. And some of this stuff that happens in some of the video, I, I'm totally against violence, totally against guns. Yeah, totally against um, the abuse of or a put down of, of women, um, you know, in, 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 in some of the videos and stuff. I always say, don't you don't need to do that. We, we don't need to, we, we've never sort of um, lived on that sort of a, you know, guns, violence kind of thing before. Yes, we've always had that thing where yes, yeah. I, I get that, but it wasn't to the point of where we'd have to point guns at each other and, you know, um, and, and do all them kind of like... Is it that, like, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I come from a kind of similar kind of thing, point from, from yourself and that. Is it isn't that just kind of the, the 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 evolution part of where the music's going to, and we can't? It's going to go that way, and we're struggling to kind of pull it back. Like for example, before when you used to have phases of music, it used to have songs or like jungle where it wouldn't have a yeah, jungle industry, uh, music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But now the majority of songs coming out are having very little kind of Punjabi instruments any. Uh, left in it and it's going towards the you know the art imitates life or the other way around yeah see, see what, what what the thing is is now rick is that no no producer no singer out there wants to take a risk of what they're doing yeah so what they want to do so if their last song was a hit yeah they want to try and create something that's very similar and keep it going see whereas uh in the era of albums when you had eight tracks you couldn't make eight tracks sound the same yeah they had to be different so when you pick up an album have a listen to an album all the songs yes they're produced by one band or one producer but all the songs have got a different feel different type different subject matter and now um that experimental kind of it's gone it's gone and people are afraid so they kind of like almost box themselves in to one thing I'm known for this, so I've got to continue doing this again and again and again and again to the point of where when you just know this person's releasing this song and you just think, I know what this song is going to be about, what the sound is going to be like, and that's it, yeah? And and that's where a lot of the industry is suffering because people aren't prepared to, you know, think, let's try and take a risk, let's try and do something different, take a bit of a gamble. Yeah, it may not work, but the fact is I'm giving them something different to think about. And that sort of phase will, yes, we're getting through this phase, but I, I still think that sooner or yeah, later, it's, it's almost like it'll come back, that this stage will come back, because in essence, a lot of our entertainment is still based around like functions and parties, yeah, family parties, family gatherings, or a lot more dinner dances, which we never used to have in the 80s. In the 80s, it was like club gigs, but now we've got dinner dancers. Dance. So when you, yeah, <laughs> and so when you go to these events, you want music you can dance to. You don't want, you know, the latest whatever it is, or you know, this gangster. You can't dance to that, but you can still dance to Bolivia. You can still dance to songs like Sohurorote. You know, it's a, you still got all those classics uh, playing out there, and and you'll be surprised how many bookings I get for um, doing old school sets. Brilliant. Yeah. I'm going to 
ask you a few more questions and then we're going to bring it together. Otherwise, it's going to be late for school in the morning. Um, <laughs> so quick, kind of quick fire on, on off the top of my head. So yep. just go with your first answer. It answer, go on then. It doesn't mean anything, but it's just on the... Rapid fire, go on. Favourite album? Oh, gosh, man. Um, now, th there's something you have to give me here. Are we talking... <laughs> India based, UK based, or just both, you, you, both, both. Uh, UK based. Wow, that's a tough one. That is, thank you. Uh, that's a real tough question to pin it down to one album because I still love my 80s music. Just go for and it. I'll stick my neck out. I want to say Bangra Fever One, Bangra Fever One, yeah. India, what about, what about India album? India albums, oh gosh, where do I start, Rick? Uh, there's too many to India to sort of pin down to a favourite because now, you know, with all this modern technology, I've got the facility to be able to pick out my favourite songs and just listen to them. Okay, okay. So, so I, I'm going to I'm gonna move it on then and say favourite UK singer, favourite uh, India-based singer. Uh, gosh, man, that's another tough one. I, I'm going to go with, uh, you know, what for me, um, where it all started. I'm going to go with uh, from India, Yamla Jat. Yeah. Um, because he's the man. He's, he's the man who's given us all of this. Whatever way we look at it. I mean, the kids today may not think, nah, I can. Uh, he have done that, but he did it. He changed the whole scene for us and he created the Dumbi, which is. If you listen to the majority of Punjabi tracks or Bangla tracks, even now, they've got that one instrument still playing and it's Dumbi. Yeah. Mimundi Atubachke is the classic, I will give yeah. you. Dumbi, all Dumbi, isn't it? So, yeah. Uh, Yamalajat, over here, favourite singer. Uh, gosh, I was at the concert a few weeks ago, uh, the one Amajit Sidhu did and, and Shin. Wow, man. Uh, you could stick him on a man, he was electric. You know, and and to think I've I've gone and seen some really big bands mainstream. I've seen Guns N' Roses live, yeah. U two, Simple Minds, um, perform live. Uh, trying to think, I've been to Glastonbury, saw some massive, massive bands there. But to see him live that night, you could pick him up and put him on a mainstream stage, and he would not feel out of place at all. And vocally, he's he's very apt. Very, very uh, talented in his vocal range, and I'm not disregarding any the other Punjabi artists from the UK. Uh, yeah, Shin. Okay. Um, next question that I'm going to go for it might be a little bit tricky. Give me the top five best producers. It's another good, good one. Um, you, I don't have to put them in an order, do no, I? No, no order. No, okay, no order. So I'm going to go Kuljit Bamra, Deepak Kazanchi. Yeah. Uh, I am going to say Cam Frantic. He's done a lot of work behind the scenes that people don't even know about. Um. And in the era of bands, when bands were together, uh, Bordesi, they 
uh, their last album they did was Full of Badmashi. Um, it's another album, very underrated, but if anyone's got it, you should sit down and really listen to it again because music in that is awesome. So them as a unit, but yep. this in music. So that how many that is that four? four. You got one more. Uh, one more. Production wise, production wise, off the top of my head, I think I'm going to give some uh, credit here to PMC as well. You have to, man. You know, he's the amount of hits he's had in. Uh, once again, you go back to I'm trying to think, night eighty nine, ninety when he started, and we're talking twenty twenty two now. So he, he's still doing stuff. So yeah, PMC as well. That's my top five. Smashed it. Smashed it. Okay, I'm gonna. I ain't gonna ask you any more rapid fire because I see you struggling. And you almost broke the, fr- the the feed that we had on here. <laughs> so, um, with everybody who I get on, I give an opportunity to kind of um, either jump on a bandwagon, jump off a bandwagon, or kind of it's a space for them to kind of get something off their chest. So, Polly, is there anything that that I'm gonna open that out to you at this point? Is there a bandwagon you want to jump on off, or is there anything that you want to kind of get off your chest? Um. Get off my chest. Um, I mean, if I if I could do all of this again, I, I don't think I'd want to change anything, Rick, because the way it's kind of that all happened and the way it's all fallen into place. The only thing, only regret I I have is uh, that the mainstream never gave us more of an opportunity uh, to to really put put our you know you know like for instance like reggae, yeah, it started of started off as an underground sound but eventually was recognised by the mainstream. You know, besides like Punjabi MC and maybe one or two other bits of music, they've never really given us the full recognition. And and I can understand there's a language barrier there. Yeah, I can understand that. But uh, yes, they've created the Asian network, but does it really reflect all of us? That that's, what, that's the biggest question I've got. That, and that's the thing is, even now, if you look at the Asian communities, the Asian community in London is very different from the Asian community in the Midlands. So how can you have one station that reflects, mm-hmm. you know? And and I think the BBC uh, are probably going to go back to regional stuff now. So I don't know. There's lots of changes coming, so we'll have to wait and see. But uh, that's what their plan is, I think. Um, I, I really, I, well, I, I've, I've got no regrets and I've got no kind of like bandwagon uh, probably be oh, that's fine. want that's to fine. be on or you know not be with or but yeah i i, I just I, I still enjoy what i've done uh i had a great time on saturday at the daytime gig we did i mean it, yeah it's nostalgia for me maybe and that's what maybe makes it so good but i still get that adrenaline going been part of you know hosting it making sure everything's happening good entertainment for people that's that's one thing i always believe in is if you're doing anything out there whether you're a band, whether you're a DJ, whether you're, you know, hosting, whatever, make sure you you give it, you know, so people will uh, listen to you. You are entertaining them. And, and and that's that's a must for me is entertainment of people, if, especially if they're paid. You know, if you're paying 20, 30 pounds to go and see something, give it, give a good entertainment, give a good account of yourself so they'll remember you and come back for more mm-hmm. rather than walk away and think, that's one place I'm never going again, man. Yeah. Polly, I just want to uh, kind of bring it to a close, man. And I really appreciate you taking the time out. I know I gave you very little notice and kind of said it on there. I think it was only <laughs> going to be that way for me, to be honest. And um, 
you know, I just want to kind of highlight to everybody in terms of the impact that you have had on this industry and continue to do so. I learned so much from you. Um, you like what I've already kind of said, I can't, I struggle to put it into words. Um, you should be having a blue plaque in Derby for all the services you've done there <laughs> internationally, whatever it is, you know, like one of the underrated kind of people out there. And um, I think you should get your story out in in a documentary or any form that you want start your own podcast do all of these kind of things because like it's going to be invaluable and and the, the knowledge that you've shared today um is massive so i just want to say a personal thank you from not only myself but my family you know our family you know oh, yeah, uh, yeah 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 you know i've got respect for you yeah yeah he was yeah he was at my wedding <laughs> yes i was i was i was and and you weren't very well though <laughs> i wasn't very well but because it was your wedding i came anyone yeah, else's I, I would have not no i appreciate it man i know yeah, and yeah. um yeah proper respect for you man so yeah no I, 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 I just want to say thank you to you for giving me this opportunity because like i said not many people would uh give me this opportunity really to to sort of speak uh in this way about the industry about myself about you know the journey and everything so uh big up to you as well rick for uh, i suppose wanting to do it favor no hey listen you're like a younger brother to me so yeah, it, it went, it went about, i actually uh, look older than you now so no, is... yeah no you don't look at you ain't seen my gray hair my look bald at, patch look, and everything mate. look at this look at, yeah. i'm looking like a skunk but you look good you skinny and stuff i'm making my way there <laughs> Oh, hey, pop. The, we're going to do this again, by the way. So, like, yeah, 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 yeah. We're yeah, yeah, get, yeah. We're going to get on. All right. That'll be fine. Yeah. Great, Rick. Thank you very much. Oh, before, before you Go end, um, you know, all my shows on Radio XL, I've still got the recordings. Oh, I know where this is going. <laughs> where do you think it's going, Rick? Where I sang Jumpy La Live in it. Yeah, we, we've got <laughs> that one as well. I've still got that. I've <laughs> okay. still got that. I've still got that. Yeah, that, that was that was one of my many memories. But I, what I was uh, actually going to say is, I'm, I, I I am thinking of uh, getting the old shows out because they're all digital. So uh, edit them and maybe put something out there as a sort of a. Um, yeah, it was my ego thinking it was about me, but really it was about no, see, no, no. This, no, this, no, this no that, this that, guy's about listen, is serving everyone. That that, that bit, uh, uh, you and Suki Bart. That, yeah, that, yeah, that, 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 yeah, 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 no, that, that's got to be there, mate. You know, you can't not have that bit in there where you're both singing and Suki Bart does the female pieces as well. So you he cannot was, have that. He was playing the Dumbi as well at the same time, and it, and yes, then, he was, he was, yeah, yeah, he was. That's right, yeah. And so, yeah, but that was a, a the funny thing. Do you remember someone rang in trying to get get us a booking? They didn't, yeah, they yeah, thought right. we were an actual act. Yeah, 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 that's right. And and I took that booking. Yeah, yeah, no, 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 never. But yeah, so yeah, so I'm, I'm gonna. I think you should, man. In whatever yeah, format it can I'm, be done, just upload. And it's it's, di it's digital. So, uh, like I said, I, I don't know whether I need to start my own podcast or something. Yeah, or whether do we, I could maybe you. hook up with you somehow, and we could yeah, do man. something together and, uh, and knock some of the old shows out there. That'd be brilliant. It'd be good. All right, man. Catch up with but, you. Big up, Rick. Yeah, United. All the way, mate. All the way. <laughs> <laughs>